What's going on, everybody? Cali Death Podcast back again, episode 18. We got a very, very awesome episode ready for you guys. Uh, we got some Bay Area fucking legends, gore legends. We got the guys from Exhumed. We got Matt Harvey, Ross Sewage, and our close, close friend who's coming back for his second appearance. He was on the first episode of this podcast, Mr. Mike Hamilton. What up, Brought you guys on to show some fucking love for the Bay Area metal scene. You guys fucking went way back, way further back than I have. And we want to hear all that shit. Ross is a- uh, I got stories to tell you, man. <laughs> I've seen some shit. <laughs> Being I'm represented sure. by his toy friend. Oh, dude, that was, that was like a magic trick, bro. You fucking <laughs> jumped in super quick after that. It's, it's all in the editing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Real quick, uh, Christopher Beatty, thank you again for that fucking awesome intro. We fucking love it every single time. Uh, people be asking about that, so put out an album, motherfucker. Uh, but yeah, here we are. So, um, what else? What What am I not plugging that I should be plugging right now? Anybody rem- remind me? Uh, is this coming out tomorrow? It's coming out tomorrow. Yeah. This weekend, should we? Matt Matthew, would you like to plug the? Uh... The yeah. footage. Uh, so tomorrow is actually a, 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 a semi-momentous occasion for us. We will be um, re-soliciting our uh, internet concert, Gorified at the Grind in Guignol. Uh, it's an hour of live performance, sans audience, as one does in 2020. However, the exciting thing uh, that is causing us to go out and replug it once again is that there's now 30 extra minutes of bonus footage from a benefit concert that we also did and uh we also when we launched the concert the first time we had posters which we still have some available we had long sleeves which we still have a handful of available and now we are relaunching it with uh t-shirts it's all exclusively through our web store exhumed.bigcartel.com uh you can get the shirt bundle, you can get the poster bundle, or you can just get the show for 10 bucks. It's like over an hour and a half of uh, gore metal littered with, uh, you know, little interview segments with us and all sorts of uh, pulse pounding putridity in the uh, exhumed idiom. So, uh, yeah. Cool. Advertisements are over. So people yeah. just fast forwarded. <laughs> At a punk rock price. Right. Um, I'm going to pull that up for everybody to check out. So do it. Here's the big cartel store. Oh, and this it. is what you just described, right? The Gorified at the Grind. That is it. Ten you can stream uh, for the next month or you can download to own it forever and relive the magic over and over. Magic, of course, being in air quotes. In glorious 1080p or slightly less glorious 720p. Right. And there's all kinds of other <clears> stuff. From Exhumed, from my other bands, so please give me all your money. Get that Pounder too. Right, the new Pounder album's on there. The book I wrote a story on is in there. In Dude, what's up with that VHS right there? What is that? It is a book. It is a horror anthology that uh, I have a short story in. Matt Matt knows magic too. He can make a book look like a, look like a VHS tape. <laughs> right. Oh, nice. That was actually Rachel designed that cover. So dude. That's nice. Our good friend Rachel, who also did some design work on the horror LP. Absolutely. She's awesome. Hell yeah, guys. Well, this is fucking cool. This is cool as fucking shit, dude. Like, 
to be a Bay Area kid, born and raised, you know, and and getting uh, introduced to metal fairly early in the adolescence, you know, by 17, I bought my first Exhumed record. And, uh, you know, I'd seen Exhumed several times at the pound, seen Impaled several times at the pound. Um, we have guys, which by the way, I didn't introduce Casey, Joel and Joseph, the resident homies. They have, uh, two of them have had Impaled and Exhumed shows that they have played. So we got a lot of stories today for sure. Um, but how we always do it on this podcast, since we have you, Matt and Ross, you take us back to the fucking early nineties, dude. Tell us, tell us how you got into this shit. Like, what, first of all, I know exactly why you got, well, no, I don't know exactly, but the gore shit is, is one that that's like the thing that pushes you into me death metal, or it's something that you grab onto as soon as you get into grind and metal and stuff. So like what came first, like, give us all that stuff. Matt, you start. I was just playing with toys. Well, I still am playing with toys, but uh, I was but last time with toys and you're already starting a band. You were ahead of the curve. I got into metal like in like, it must have been like 87, maybe, maybe late 86. Well, and I was like 11. And um, shortly thereafter, I, I heard Master of Puppets. And um, that kind of came into my life at, the, at a time when there was a perfect storm of like, I, I changed tools to a new school where I didn't know anybody. Um, I think I was like 12 by this point. Uh, my parents were splitting up and I was, you know, starting to get pimples and like pubes and shit. So there was a lot of angst going on and that was kind of like the perfect music. But before that, I was already into horror, um, you know, like it started with like Nightmare on Elm Street. And then my favorites, I think, I was in junior high, like Reanimator, um, Evil Dead 2, uh, like Lair of the White Worm, uh, that was a big one, Hellraiser. Um, the 80s was, of course, a great time for horror and a great time for metal. And as I kept I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Matt, to cut you off. Um, Mike, I think we're getting some pickup from your mic, dude. Um, there's like some clicking going on and it keeps going. Good. Sorry, dude. Don't interrupt me. It's all good. It might, no, if you want to. I'm, I'm plugged right into the uh, uh, the Chromebook. So yeah, yeah. you can mute yourself when you're not talking. Exactly. I know it's a little more work, dude. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, wa watch this, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Technology at work. Didn't hear a thing. <laughs> but uh, I, I think when I, in like 88, when I was about 13, I heard Stream Bloody Gore. Um, and I think I bought the tape just because it had a song titled Regurgitated Guts. I was like, I don't know what this is, but it's worth my allowance. I got to hear what a song called Regurgitated Guts sounds like. And um, I sort of realized to listen to like that album and like the Rain of Blood and Hell Awaits, Pleasure to Kill, um, and like the Under the Sun of the Black Mark by Bathory. I just thought, oh, I, I, this is like the musical equivalent of the horror movies that I like. And it just seemed like it went together really seamlessly. You know, there's also the self-titled Rigor Mortis album was a big one. Um, and, uh, you know, that was just sort of what set me on the path. And uh, musically, it was always about trying to find like the heaviest band, the fastest band, like is creator faster than slayer is cryptic slaughter faster than creator is napalm death faster than cryptic slaughter and so on and so forth and that's how you end up starting a death metal band when you're 15. 
Totally, dude. I mean, I, going off, I, I, on, oh, sorry. No, you have a question? No, I was just going to say going off of the, the faster and faster and faster. It's like, that's really what it was like that. I mean, I'm, I'm 36, so I didn't really experience the early, early nineties in, well, in, in real time, but going back and watching documentaries, reading all this shit, it was like, it was all about speed back then. Well, I think well, the bands were about that too, weren't they? Like, I mean, consider like Repulsion. They just said they just wanted to go faster than Slayer. Mm -hmm. But I think the scene was changing though, because in the early 80s, up until about 86, when Master Puppets came out, kind of everybody was talking about speed, speed, speed. You know, and everybody was like mad at Metallica because oh, it's not fast enough or whatever. And then once they sort of became successful on like a, on a legitimate like success basis, the scene went two ways you had thrash metal that was used to be all about speed that became more about like sort of the like mosh friendly tempos and then everyone's like well we don't sing about satanism anymore because that's childish we sing about toxic waste or whatever and then the death metal scene that was sort of simmering underneath in the tape trading scene those bands started getting signed and they were like cool you guys don't want to sing about satanism and like killing people like that's great we're going to do that now and we're going to go even faster and so there was sort of an opening there because you know, South of Heaven had come out and like Fabulous Disaster and all of those records really were much slower than the early records by the thrash bands. And that genre was kind of like going towards the mainstream and Death Metal was sort of picking up the fans that were like, I love Hell Awaits, but South of Heaven's kind of boring, you know, um, it's, it's too slow. And so there was a, and then the same thing happened with Death Metal a few years later, but it was it was a few years behind in this sort of like shifting taste. When did the funk come into it? That was coming out right when I was in high school, and it sucked. That's one of the things that like destroyed thrash metal. It was like Faith No More, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Fungo Mungo, like all that shit. Are, are you telling me you don't like Thirty One Flavors? I fucking hate Thirty One Flavors. Faker, right? Yeah, Faker, right? I hate Fungo Mungo. I hate Faith No More and everything. More dread. It's it's. I don't just like be a metal fool. <laughs> I'm not. I love all kinds of, and I love funk, but I don't love funk metal. You know. I, I mean, most of the time, I would agree with you too. There's only probably a few funk metal crossovers that I'd be uh, into listening to. So I, I'm, I'm on your side. Fungo Mungo. <laughs> I, I will admit, right now, I have no idea what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> they were a band that was getting pretty big around like '91 in the Bay Area. They, they were playing a lot, um, and they were doing sort of that like post Mordred, pre Faith No More. Like, is it thrash metal? Is it funk? Is it? I don't know. Which one was an Encino Man? That was Sacred Reich. That was the, but that was the American way. That was sacred. I thought it was like infectious. Okay, I got it wrong. Infectious, infectious Cruise was, yeah, that was like the outgrowth. That was the LA version of all that. Yeah, Encino now, Man. That was the metal scene I was into. Woo! With the four, the four basic food groups. I don't even remember them. All right. <laughs> I, I, I got, I got, was getting into hard rock and metal like Metallica a little bit later than Matt. And then I met Cole Jones at my high school. We're already for, for a couple of years. You started in 90. We started like jamming in 90, but we played a show in October 91. So, so I, I think I met Cole 92, I want to say. Right. And then uh, I was like, yeah, I like Metallica. I was like kind of growing my mullet out. And like, also had a sick mullet. It was a sick mullet, and I kept it for a long time because I was just hiding my long hair. One day I showed up at school with long hair, and nobody was like, "When did you grow that?" 
I never went through the awkward hair phase. I had a plan, except for the mullet. <laughs> that was the awkward hair phase. There you go. But Cole is like, I was like, yeah, let's. Uh, I'm into this hard rock stuff. And he goes, oh, cool. Check out this carcass tape. Check out this Godflesh tape. And so I got to skip a lot of the uh, the the formative uh, like thrash and heavy metal that a lot of other people get into. And I just like went straight into like Napalm Death, Peel Sessions, and shit like that. I was pretty lucky to have met those guys early on, and then just like hung around playing role playing games and comic books with them till I kind of just got folded into the band because it turned out I could kind of had a gurgly voice that worked when they needed someone who needed a gurg who had a gurgly voice. So it was convenient. <laughs> and I also had a car and I could drive. That was also convenient. Definitely he had a car and he was very. Um... He was very on top of stuff in a way that we weren't. Like Ross was good at printing flyers, uh, making sure that we were, like sending our mail out and like training tapes and staying on top of all that sort of stuff. The mechanics of being a band is not just like, oh, I came up with this cool riff. That was like the extent of. Yeah, that's not my. That's not what I do. <laughs> <laughs> Every once in a while. So. So tell me about like. All right, so you guys linked up. You guys are jamming. When it was uh, like the first demo re recording and all that kind of stuff happened? Um, well, we recorded a rehearsal in my dad's garage in 91, like in the summer. How'd you record it? Did you have just like a little boom box? Yeah. Condenser mic. And, um, and, you know, we took that to, um, at the time, there was, there was three big clubs in the Bay Area that did metal and pretty much everything went there. There was the Stone, the Omni, and One Step Beyond in San Francisco, Oakland, and, and Santa Clara, respectively. And they were all owned by the same people, and it was just like a circuit, and it was all pay-to-play stuff. And so we, we, somebody drove up there or whatever. I, I, it wasn't me, so I couldn't tell you exactly how it happened, but they, we gave them our rehearsal tape. We said we were looking for shows, and they said, cool, here's the deal. You're playing a Thursday night at the Stone with bands no one's ever heard of, and give us 150 bucks. I was like, okay. Here's 150 bucks. I mean, but it was also like, here's some tickets to sell and you'll make more than that. Yeah. Sell these tickets. But we just were like, I don't know. Nobody we know. We're, we're like 15 year old. Well, I was, I was sick. I just turned 16, but we were a bunch of 16 year old kids from San Jose. So we didn't really know anybody to like go to a gig in San Francisco on a Thursday night. So we just gave them the 150 bucks and showed up and played. And um, they liked us. So they kept giving us gigs because we were, we always paid. We always like, if they told us to show up at five, we showed up at five. Um, we didn't cause trouble because we were all like nerds. We didn't, you know, we weren't doing like underage drinking or drugs. We were just like, oh my God, we're playing a show. And um, we just kept getting more and more shows. And we, we opened for a lot of national acts pretty early on. Were you guys Never already playing the gore metal style? I mean, if you've ever heard like the demo we did in January 92, dissecting the Casey the Momentum, I mean, it's pretty much, I mean, it's not the exact same, but it's still like that Napalm Death, Carcass, uh, you know, Entombed, Death kind of stuff that we've always done. Um, I think we got a little bit more of our own style of like when Ross was in the band in like 94. Um, we, had a, we had a bass player named Matt Widener at the time and it was sort of like ross had his shit together as far as like oh we need to send this mail and like print these flyers and do these things and matt widener had his shit together and like so how does this riff actually go and we're like i don't know you just do it and he's like, well, like <laughs> what's the count we're like 
wait, you got to count? Like, <laughs> I thought you just played a cool riff and then like you played the next one and that was it. And so that was kind of when we started, you know, developing our own style as a band rather than just like terrorizer riff, death riff, carcass riff, carcass riff, napalm death riff, death riff, napalm death riff, and then that's a song. Yeah, the that horrific is, expulsion of gore, that might have been the first exhumed songs that had like recognizable choruses. Yeah, yeah, that, that was when we kind of started finding our own style. But. That's a common thing with uh, bands that I've, I've come across on this podcast and elsewhere is, is in the beginning, everybody's like, okay, we're going to play the Suffo riff here. The Gorgasm riff comes after that, but then we're going to play the fucking Vital Remains riff, and then we're going to come back to the Gorgasm. It's just like... I mean, it's, that's, it's that's a, learned, though. I mean, that's but exactly, yeah. No, and in hindsight, now it's funny, but in the same time, you got to look at it like, okay, that's that's how that's building the foundation, and then it sparks the the creativity, and then you extent, you end up finding your own voice or style or. And I mean, I, what else would you call the riff? Like Alice and Bruce or something? Like. <laughs> <laughs> nothing nothing is wholly original we could we could probably still go through new songs and pick out like oh that's the uh that's the pestilence or actually we could probably go through every single exhume mm -hmm. song and name one pestilence riff in <laughs> definitely everything's already been done everybody's just trying to figure out a unique way to do it again well i mean the thing is you know especially in 2021 i mean you gotta think that you know scum came out in 1987 that's what 34 years ago i so was three not, yeah it's not just that heavy metal has been around since 1969 you know black sabbath it's that even the most extreme underground stuff is now 30 years old and like have we really moved on that much since the late 80s and, and mid, maybe mid 90s like with the norwegian black metal was sort of the last new sound that people discovered like I would agree. Ultimately, there's not that much to do, or else it's not metal. Like that. I mean, that's just the the, the boundaries are very narrow. So you're going to end up repeating stuff. You're going to end up calling back to stuff. You're going to end up evoking stuff, and that's part of the scene too. You know, it's part of the cycle. Where like mm -hmm. waste and toxic holocaust ten years ago, you know, you're like, oh, cool, it's a nuclear assault riff, like right on. And now with Necrod and Gatekeeper or whatever, you're like, oh, it's a bolt thrower riff. And I mean, the scene itself has the nostalgia built into it because you know there's only where is there to go at this point you know mm -hmm. although who knows somebody maybe make a liar out of me next week and do something i've never heard before that's still super heavy but I, it's I, possible I it's possible i mean even lamb probably had like oh this is the stooges riff that we're playing really badly this is the right this is the dead, dead boys riff that we're just going to play extra fast i mean Absolutely. it's same thing kind of in all art. I mean, Monet was just aping other masters and, and you know, uh, the new Justice League. It's like, oh, look, he looks like Jesus. Like that hasn't been done in another fucking movie a million times. <laughs> and I think really, you know, it's all about sort of the difference with all the history, I think, is that the audience is more savvy to what's going on now. And that's just sort of the pop culture in general. Everything is sort of meta. Whereas like when I first heard Scum, in the middle, there's just a Hellhammer riff. They just play a Hellhammer riff. Like they don't change it. They don't do anything different. All of a sudden there's just a break and they're like, oh, here's a Hellhammer riff. I'd never heard Hellhammer. I was like, that's a cool riff. I don't know. And so I didn't have the framework to be like, oh, this isn't totally original to me, it, to my ears. It was brand was new, yeah. 14, I was like, I've never heard this before. And, you know, even Metallica, who's everybody's first band, like 
I mean, I could go through their albums like riff by riff and I could tell you exactly which angel riff this is and which diamond head transition this is and whatever, you know, which motorhead riff is there. And it's so, it's all about context. It's just now that the audience is much more, they're expected to have that context going into it. Whereas before you could sort of blindside somebody because there was no internet and things were newer and yada, yada, yada. Totally, dude. I. I, I totally agree with that 100%, dude. It's like, um, for, for us to be exposed to something new, it, it seems like it's, it's, it's in the past for me. Like it, my generation, I mean, yeah, I'll, I'm, I may come across something new before I fucking croak, you know, but it's like, it's for every generation every generation is going to have something fresh and new. I don't know when it's going to come for them, but it'll eventually be there. Right. As long as we still fucking be, stay as bacteria on this planet, <laughs> it'll eventually, we have to, it, if it gets stagnant, we're just going to off ourselves. Everybody's well, I, just going I, to I think suicide. things can keep changing, but you don't know if something's fresh when you're making it. That's like, right. Yeah. We're waking up. We're waking up on a. It's like, yeah, we're, we're a blip. So it's like, it may be fresh to that. It's all perspective. It's all, you know, you through your lens. So it's like, it's fresh for you in that moment. And then somebody else is going to come and ruin it for you and tell you, Oh dude, it's been done fucking this time, that time. And it's just like, okay, well, it was fresh for me then. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know? some like wolves in the throne room, they, you know, people like a lot of people got onto them and they were like, wow, this whole new black metal sound is really cool, but it'd been going pretty strong for about, you know, 10 years before that. And then those black metal guys were kind of just aping old battery riffs. And before that, that Hellhammer and, and blah, 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 blah. Venom was just aping Motorhead and on we go until we just end up back at everything ends up back at like Chuck Berry and little Richard and, <laughs> all the stuff that they were influenced by who the bunch of people that never got I mean, don't by. don't even get me started on skrillex and how much he owes the past <laughs> of disco and house music because I'll, I'll just go on for days i mean is skrillex still a thing i thought that was like over with i haven't heard anything about skrillex in a long time but i'm also 45 and have no kids so i don't know anything. I, I don't know what skrillex is up to as, as the youngest person here i know Dad Punk you, just broke up i haven't heard anything from skrillex in years i think okay. that's over yeah but yes i know that <laughs> that was quite sad we'll see if he comes back but uh, uh my, can I ask, my, uh like, my okay go for it joseph go <laughs> sorry i was just gonna ask so mike you're uh playing with vile you're jamming with uh deeds of flesh eventually are you paying attention to exhumed are you uh you know you're knowing what what these dudes he are up to at the same time and he was right no absolutely i mean for me i was kind of a late starter when it came to like joining you know with vile vile wasn't really active till like 94 we played some shows with exhumed and like to larry um it was like a metal fest out in the middle of nowhere but i'm very aware of exhumed me and jimmy t when we were in bands before vile um we're like out of high school just like dumb metal bands that we were just trying to get established and stuff but you know, yeah well it was mind lock yeah and that was our high school band and then we went and saw uh i think at the time, it, I think it was a Napa VFW hall. Um, we went and watched Exhumed that, I think that was during the uh, horrific explosion of gore uh, tape. I think that was with Leon, right? That was with Leon, yeah. And then Ross was in the band as well. And that's when uh, we, we saw you guys with the uh, the cow's blood and then you guys, the, the stage antics were just off the charts back then. So we're like, 
these guys are badass. It's like, it was just fun to see something totally different. The gore metal, like on the back of the guitars, on the back yeah, of the guitars. Exactly. All that. Yeah. So it was cool to see that because it was something that we hadn't seen before. We, you know, we knew about Exhum, but we'd never seen them live. And it wasn't until that VFW Hall show, or I think it was VFW Hall. I think it was, yeah. Yeah, but that was it was it was awesome to see that. So you know, these, we both... these were the formative years, younger people. These were the awesome yeah. glory days playing to 16 people at a VFW hall in yeah. 1995, <laughs> six. Totally. Yeah, out the basement of a library and putting on the hardest shows you'd ever seen Absolutely. for 12 people. That's how it all began. And yeah. here you are 20 something years later talking about it again. Yeah. The same thing back in the days of the Paradise Lounge. That was pretty, you know, that was a good spot to play shows along. So we've seen them there as well. So, and I think Vile and Exhum played a show together at the Paradise Lounge. But yeah, we're both bands coming up in the scene. They've been around, I think, way before us. But we're, you know, always knew of each other and and played a few shows together. But you know, we're all just doing our thing in the Bay and you know, respecting each other. And I think I think the main difference between like Vile and Exhum was that. And really exhumed in most bands was that most bands were much more sort of um, traditionally musical than we were. <laughs> um, like we sort of would add and flow, like we'd get a little bit better for a couple of years and then like we just sort of slack off and playing and it would just be really sloppy. And most other bands, you know, especially Vile, because I remember hearing the, the Violation demo and I was like really impressed. I was like, this isn't like, so much my style of death metal, but it's done like at a professional level. Whereas we were sort of hit and miss, like it just depended on what was going on. Sometimes we'd go in the studio and turn out killer. And then we would go in a month later and record three other songs that would just turn out like shit. Um, we didn't have like the, the professional musical discipline. We did, however, um, especially because it was the nineties, and like black metal was sort of king in the scene when we were doing a lot of the, the formative work, 94 to 98 or whatever. And so we've really felt the need to compete more on like an attitude and like theatricality level. And that's kind of what we put more energy into. We're like, well, we didn't practice this week, but we brought like these like horse bones to a show <laughs> and we've got like real blood. That's cool. Um, I also want to give a fair amount of credit to Chris Reifert on a lot of that influence. Speaking of Bay Area influence, I mean, he was puking up green slime in the early 90s. And then when I think it was we, my first show at the Zoom, we played with, I think it was also Abscess's first show. It was to about like 15 people in Petaluma, California. Hmm. And they brought out a bunch of condoms full of slime and goo and all this other shit and threw it out in the crowd. And I was like, we, we gotta, we gotta do that. That's rad. And, uh, and, but we'll, we'll use real blood cause we're hard <laughs> and there's these Norwegian assholes. We got to show them up. Right. You know, they didn't end up I was going to say though. real quick on that, talked is, about. I, that show was never boring. The exhumed set was never boring. Might not never. have been good, but it was, but it wasn't. <laughs> no, and I'm not saying that I'm not opening it with never boring as a, it's a bad no. thing. Like there was always, there was always a surprise. There was always a, a, a little thing that would, even if the people were, weren't paying attention, would end up pay attention. They would end up bringing their attention to the stage because of what was going down. Right. And, and I've seen bands that have done it like you guys after and, and it's funny, like I followed a band, I won't mention their name, and they had like pig 
intestines that they were throwing out and shit. And, and, and I got up on stage and all I said was like, Exuma was doing that shit like 15 years ago, guys. Come on. Like I got, now I got to fucking walk around all these pig intestines. Cause nobody cleans up the fucking metal stages in between bands. Come on now. So I'm, I'm, I'm watching, I'm, I'm with my sandals on. I got my sandals on guys. So it's like even worse. And, <laughs> and why and are I'm you going to metal shows with sandals on? Oh, here we go. Oh, here we go. Ross wants to this conversation. <laughs> no, I, I, uh, I like to be comfortable on stage, dude. And I'm from a beach town, so this oh, is the Cali Death Podcast, dude. If you look at our, if you look at our logo, we got palm trees and stuff. We like to be on the beach. I like, I like the beach. I like palm trees, but I got on stage. I don't trust any motherfuckers in there. I like. <laughs> I don't want to step on shit. I don't want anyone touching me. And it's I was, funny. I was prepped for this pandemic. I don't want anybody touching me. <laughs> oh, ever. Dude, I'm never going barefoot at a show after the pandemic for sure. But <laughs> so, yeah, because you can get COVID through your foot. So it's a real danger. <laughs> no, you can get less boogers and slime and all this other shit that I've thrown out. The hell is wrong with you? Sandals still keep me uh half inch away from the surface that I'm walking <laughs> on, dude. You go, you go, uh, you go crowd surfing in a guar pit. You're gonna lose those sandals, and then you're gonna be barefoot. I, dude, you're be but sorry. that's the thing. I'm not gonna go crowd surfing in a guar pit, dude. I'm gonna be in the back, like drinking my beer. Like, this is where I'm by the sound guy. Like, this is. Well, the best I mean, you are thirty sound. That makes sense. That is. So, yeah, so this, dude. What's the up? New, uh, there you go. The <laughs> not, not even Tivas to keep it's, like locked around your ankles. It's flip flops. It's a new design that we're working <laughs> on. Every day. You know? You know, oh, just, oh god work in progress <laughs> you can get some serious toenail infection that way ask ask matt harvey dude i still have my feet dude i've gone through 20 years of metal doing it dude i i will say i never went to an actual show as a as a uh an a fan show. with sandals on fuck that dude no <laughs> i'll wear uh, my sandals on stage but i will not wear sandals down in the crowd no yeah, Colin Davis used to wear flip flops on stage. So yeah, that was. Uh... <laughs> See that that oh, no. that that'd be a big old no go in Exum. That's get back to the theatricality. We have we have we have uh, rules that doesn't fit in the costume uh, criteria. No, although Matt's been trying for years to get me to wear stretch jeans, and I refuse. If they were splattered with blood and guts, what? What about that? No, no stretch jeans for me. Ross has very skinny legs, so it would look good with stretch jeans. That's the problem. I have very skinny legs. I would look like a, a toothpick, that's like two, two toothpicks holding up. That's what uh, You're not supposed to, like, I got big legs. I got truck driver legs. Yeah, and, you shouldn't wear them either. Yeah, well, probably not, but I still do. <laughs> Too late. Not changing now. Yeah, dude. Just be comfortable. So Mike, what, I, we totally I, did. We go off of what you were talking. We veered off of what Mike was saying. Like, so you guys were doing shows together. Um, they're on your radar and all that stuff. So, I mean, I, mean, I guess you maybe already finished that up. So yeah, no, they had a Exhumed had a quite a huge following in the Bay Area, as far as like you know, from what we've seen, that they had a good draw and they had a good stable name. They're playing all the big shows like Omni and. You know, playing like Harvey was saying, they're playing, you know, with national acts and Vile kind of was doing that in the beginning. But you think uh, it was just, you know, there's a mutual respect. They were both just doing our thing, you know, and we played a few shows together, but we're kind of both, you know, at the same time doing different kind of shows, I guess. So 
Yeah, we kind of like veered off the metal path like in the mid 90s because the mid 90s was a real rough time for metal in the Bay Area, you know? Machine Head was sort of getting popular, which was not our thing at all. Death Metal was just dead in the water, you know? Autopsy broke up. Sadists were like using keyboards. And then every other band that was doing demos and stuff around the same time when Exhumed was starting, like Mortal Fate, Plutocracy, uh, Abhorrence, Colostomy, blah, blah, blah. They all split up like by like 94, 95. And we were venues like, wow. were closing too. Stone yeah. closed, Omni closed, like all these right. venues were closing right. so there's nowhere yeah. to play. So it was a very rough time. So we sort of gravitated more towards like we were friends with a lot of the, the guys in like Spaz and Dystopia, even though their fans didn't really like us. <laughs> the guys in the bands liked us. And we sort of kind of went in like a more like punk kind of, not musical direction, but just direction of, in terms of what we were going to do. Like Ross said, um, we used to book our own shows, like community centers. And we played this uh, the basement of the Cupertino Library a lot. And we weren't, you know, it wasn't that we wouldn't have welcomed getting like the local openers spot on a Cannibal Corpse tour, but we were sort of not really in that world. And it made sense like getting signed to Relapse because they were sort of more on like a punk grind tip than like just like a pure like death metal, you know, folded arm, long sleeve, you know, <laughs> death metal guy. Like that wasn't, that, that, just, that just wasn't where we were coming from. We were into like, uh, we were also really influenced by like 80s metal in general, you know, a lot of the stage theatrics came from like Wasp, Kiss, um, Alice Cooper, stuff like that. And so we were really at a, a pretty, we were, you know, like for a band like Vile, we were kind of arriving at the, at the in a similar place, but from a completely opposite direction, you know. Um, so we didn't really fit in with anybody it was it was horrible <laughs> but that that was that was just our thing you know well i mean that actually is something in hindsight that i look at from an artistic perspective as something that would calcify a project or calcify uh an artist to continue it, it just pushes everything else away and you know that you got your little thing so it's like it doesn't matter where you fit in or where you try and fit in you're you got your thing you're going to continue to do it and and again fast forward now we're talking about it now and it's because you guys calcified yourself <laughs> at that time to be able to you know face that, that was some advice uh john mcintee probably gave me in the 90s he said <laughs> never evolve <laughs> he said it worked out great for well, him when i say calcify, and it has the new incantation fucking rules. Build a shell. I, an exoskeleton. Maybe calcify isn't the best. No, I, I think you're right, though. I mean, it's also very human nature when you're doing something that isn't working, like, because we weren't getting big or whatever. It, it, instead of being like, huh, should we adapt and change and maybe, like, try to bring in some new elements? We're like, no, let's double down. You know, like, we're going to double down on this and we're going to stick with it. And, um, you know, in the long run, it ended up working out okay. We, uh, we tried. We tried to have a DJ. It just didn't work out. So we let <laughs> DJ Extreme go. It's no good. That was Take a, your turntables and step, bro. No, you didn't bring any synth player in. You know, as a yeah. fifth member. No, we we figured the world would catch back up to us 
by devolving with us. <laughs> I mean, it's a, go. it's a strategy that's worked for me multiple times. So I think it's, it's good. It's solid. Well, as a metalhead too, it's one of those things where it's like, you usually don't like the later albums when they do like, like you said, added like a keyboard in say like stuff like that. So you're right. like, fuck that. We'll just keep dig our fucking claws in double down and get down. You know? Yeah. I mean, I, well, you just stay true to your sound. You know what I mean? Stay true to exactly. yourself. Right. Like, yeah. even so, to this day, like when I'm working on a new song, one of my criteria is like thinking about when I was 15 or 16, like would I like this or would I say it was some fucking poser shit? I mean, it was yeah. 1991, so I probably go, that's fucking gay, bro. But now, <laughs> say it's um, and that is like, uh, to me, that's important. You know, I think just keeping that through line of like, what was the original intent of this band? And are we still satisfying it? Cool. And of course, we try to do something different all the time and make every record different and blah, 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 blah. But it has to sort of scratch that same itch that was there from the beginning or it becomes, see, it becomes something else. Maybe that's better or worse, but I just want it to be itself. If I want to do something else, I have a bunch of other bands to do that in, you know? Yeah. Um, Ross, can I ask, um, when did you get... Oh yeah, Ross. When did you get? Um, were you were you doing art at the same time at at, the, at this time that you're playing and exhumed in your first stint? Or yeah, I was uh, I was actually uh, yeah I was um, when I joined. I mean, I joined Exhumed just uh, basically right when I was getting out of high school because I started one little band by myself, and the other guys were like, "Oh, he can do death metal vocals. All right, well, we need a death metal vocalist, so he's in. We've already known him for years." But so I was in, but then I was off to college for art. So I was in doing the art. I think the first demo, that was just some clip art, which is kind of, had been kind of exhumes modus operandi for quite some time. It was like, all right, cool. We got a trading card with brains on it. We got, uh, we cut out this thing from a, a anatomical book. That's the demo cover. And I was like, well, hey, I mean, Matt's an artist too. Matt can, Matt, he downplays it a lot, but I actually like his drawings a lot. They're, they're they have a Kirby charm to them, <laughs> especially since he just reads Jack Kirby all the time. But I was like, we're artists. We can do, you know, I like the full, I like doing the, the whole package, like all the, that's always been the way. And so we started, when we started having seven inch covers, it's like, Hey, uh, I'm going to draw this pencils, Cole, you ink it. Cause Cole, Cole's also a good artist. That's actually, I met Cole was in an art class in high school. Mm -hmm. so he was actually an artist in his own right so I was like there's three of us who are like artists why are we not just doing our own covers and our own shit like that and it's not like they're necessarily the greatest but I always liked um like Impetigo Steve-O would draw all the covers and they had a style to them and a look and you it was Steve-O's art wasn't exactly the most sophisticated but it had this charm to it that you knew exactly what the music was going to sound like was it and art first or music second or vice versa? For me? Yes. Uh, I started up, yeah, as a kid, I wanted to draw comics forever and just do shit like that. And then it was like, yeah, hanging out with the Exhumed guys and, you know, in high school, a bunch of other people started becoming musicians. And I was like, well, if I want to have friends, I better learn to play something. <laughs> so I started, dick yeah, yeah, I started, dick well, first I started off on vocals and I was like, well, I can write some gross shit. So that's easy. And then, uh, then eventually the Matt Widener, who I was in the band with to start with and exhumed, he was leaving. And uh, so I was like, well, 
I actually kind of hate being the focus and just being the vocalist. I want to hide a little bit behind an instrument and make it, you know, I like that, that kind of either three or four piece action a lot. And so music was definitely second and I found it a very awesome way to express myself. And especially when we added the theatricality to it, I think that's something I've really enjoyed through the years and um, maybe too much sometimes where I've done some embarrassing things on stages that make <laughs> Matt grimace on occasion. Quickly, Not anymore. I don't, I don't the, grimace now, I just laugh. But. The most the most embarrassing thing you've ever done, Ross, on stage. Let's hear it right now. Oh God, that's a long ass loop. Oh. No, you just one thing, the oh, most and, embarrassing. And to me, nothing is embarrassing. Let me just, let me practice The most embarrassing to your, the your most circle. embarrassing to everyone else. <laughs> I'm not embarrassed at all, but uh, I did get naked on stage one time that and covered myself in it. blood. And none, there was probably like five people watching. And then after I got naked, there was like three people watching. <laughs> I think it was more like-, like Did you do the double windmill? Yeah. Windmill the mullet and windmill the- I had the, long hair by that point, be nice. <laughs> Upstairs and downstairs. I'm Italian. Oh, so you know, you had a, it was a mullet. You had a mullet down there. Don't worry. Had I did. I had a, had a It was all party in the front and my ass is. is oh, now I'm totally uh, just imagining what the mullet uh, is. Like, how would you mullet. make, how would you groom that properly? Like, Very in the back, carefully. the back is taint. So you got to, you just grow out your taint, dude. Again, I, I'm Italian. If I, if I were to moon you right now, it looks like a black hole. Nothing, nothing but pubes on there. Anyways, business on the shaft, party on the balls. Yeah. <laughs> so that was the naked show, and then we got they, we got kicked out, and they banned us from playing that club. And I just called them a month later and told them they that I had been kicked out, and they booked us again. It was fine. Was that the Cactus Club? And <laughs> yeah, it was the Cactus yeah. Club. And then uh, I think Matt's uh, Matt I think was most mad when I strapped a rubber snake and a plastic cockroach to my arm because I was right. sick of spikes and I was like we got to do something different. <laughs> yeah, I so backed that dude. I really it didn't. Did it that. didn't look that good. Uh, I would have been the one guy being good. like, dude, he, I know what he's doing, dude. I know what he's doing right now. It was probably because I was maybe I was obsessed. I'm still obsessed with Guar to a large extent. I love what they can do on stage and get away with. Makes so, sense, dude. Rebelling Makes against sense. the status said. quo of spikes. Right. Yeah. The I, I, I keep... Yeah. <laughs> the authority figures. Yeah. I, 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 uh, I just, I just like to play and look mean now. It's a little bit easier. We do the theatricality stuff still, but it's a little more, uh, I don't want to say subdued. We just kind of, we, I'd say we keep the music in one place and we keep the theatricality in this other place, in this other compartment, and they mesh on stage, but we kind of just, actually the musicians actually play the music and the theatricality can just happen yeah i, I, think know, I know mike hamilton would definitely be playing his music dude. yeah That's mike is the least theatrical yeah, I'm, I'm, well no i'm i'm the least theatrical for sure you got a you got a razor blade dude come on mike yeah mike can't even like like grimace or smile while playing <laughs> drums he's just I'm a not, stone-faced killer yeah it's tough <laughs> he's I'm the not... neil pert of death metal dude he's <laughs> neil... yeah yeah totally is mike yeah, having fun i don't know is he angry? Right. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Our last video, I'm just like, like, I'm just filing papers. And Matt's like, dude, get into it. I'm just like, I'm totally into it right now. <laughs> like, yeah, whatever, guy. Yeah. I mean, I would be down to blow fire and do all that kind of blood theatrics and all that. That'd be great. But then, you know. 
You blow uh, your our face. Our drummer was all theatrics. <laughs> Burn my face. No skill, and now our current drummer is all skill and no theatrics. So <laughs> I think we're coming yeah. out ahead. You know. Yeah, I got I got my job on lock. Everything else is up to the front guys. Right. So there you go. All good, dude. Um, we, know you're, we know you're fucking. You're gonna do your shit back there, so it's all good, dude. I do my best. Like you the, do your best. It's like the drummer is the driver of the musical bus, you know, <laughs> and, and you want him to like kind of be straight, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, honestly, like drummers should have a role. Like Lars Ulrich does a great job. He's very theatrical. Like I, in Harvey's eyes, he's like you should just be like more like Lars and like. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, you hold it you down. Stick out your tongue and control your stick is not. It would. Well, be, we, I mean, you know, like I'll tell you this: so the like, job Lars... of the musicians is to get the crowd into it. So maybe a little more. I could be a yeah. little more animated and more, you know, involved. But not like that. Lars, please. <laughs> no, no, I will never wear I spandex mean, and play off time. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's a line sort of between yeah. you know musicianship and then musicianship is one skill and then performance is a separate skill and. Mm combining them may not be natural you know um you could be an amazing musician and a terrible performer or you could be a great performer and not that great of a musician and so many people that are famous or whatever are fantastic performers and pretty good musicians and it's like all right that's good enough like yannick gers from iron maiden right half the time he's not even like i guarantee you the sound guy's like yeah pull him right down pull him right down oh he's gonna solo okay turn him back up because he's like twiddling his guitar and he's running around and he's doing all these things and that's that's exciting. Um, so, I mean, it's all, you know, it's a multi sort of disciplinary kind of thing, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's all about sort of where your focus is. And like I was saying before, certainly in the 90s and with the kind of original incarnation of the band, I think our focus was too far on attitude and performance and not far enough on musician, uh, musicianship. Whereas now I think we've sort of found a comfortable medium where like, hey, we're playing the songs pretty much the same every night and we're playing them fairly accurately. And on, you know, of course some nights are better than others, but you know, we brought up the bad nights to like an acceptable level where it used to be like, hey, this show is great. And then the next show is fucking terrible. And you know, we're off time and we stop in the middle of the song and stuff like that. So we're, you know, we found I think a, a good compromise, you know. But if the price new- to pay is Mike doesn't stand up on his kick drum and like fucking have machete pentagrams and blow fire, then that's the price. I pay to fucking pay. money for that. Yeah, I know <laughs> it just comes from the era where it was deeds. It was just I'm back there just number crunching. I had no time to do any theatrics whatsoever, and then oh, it's for like sure, yeah. You know, and then with exhumed, it's like the music is it's you know it's simple open and it's to- well, no, it's just it's not simple, but it's just open and it's just more structured. Where I have the freedom to, to you know, if I wanted to, I could do it. But I'm just so in that mindset where it's just like, just hold it down, play, you know, as perfect as I can every night, so that everybody can, you know, do their thing. But eventually, I'll get into it. The, the rest of us can take it a little bit. Years. I mean, I'll just can take it a little bit easy. We got, you know, we got Baz with all the personality. Yeah, totally. Right. Maybe in the third yeah. decade, we'll get it together. Yeah, right, exactly. I think that's the job of the front show. guys. Just get up there. No, 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 for sure. You know, maybe I'll grow my 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 little goatee out. I can like, do some, some windmills there. Yeah. Chin bang, yeah. Just wear a ghoul mask and confuse everyone. Right. <laughs> that's ridiculous. Who would wear one of those things? Yeah, no, that's... <laughs> some idiots. I was thinking actually today going to get beer. I was like, I was like, do you think Ghost, that band Ghost, the the big band, do you think they ripped you guys off? Because they're the nameless ghouls. 
and they all wear their shit and they don't say who the name. I don't are. think they ripped off Exhumed. <laughs> ripped off Cool. I know. Who knows? Probably not. They yeah, ripped yeah. off Blue Oyster Cult. That's who they ripped off. Oh, well, okay, okay. But I think I think what the nameless ghouls thing honestly is that the main dude Tobias or whatever. Um, yeah. Tobias Funke. I know that's the guy from Arrested Development. Whatever. Um, <laughs> I, I think he's he basically is the band, and yeah, he, totally he doesn't is. want to pay anybody. Like yeah. um, Scott from Repulsion is a good friend of mine, and he's he's he knows Tobias pretty well, and he's also tight with uh, Hank from In Solitude. After In Solitude broke up, Hank got a gig playing with Ghost, and he did this whole U.S. tour playing with like Iron Maiden and whatever and he got home to Sweden and he got paid and he was like this is like 500 bucks a week like what the fuck after Swedish taxes which are quite high but it's a way that basically Tobias is like it's my band you all work for me this is the structure and nobody's gonna ever get any credit except me and that's just the way it is if you want to be in the band and play killer it's, it's pretty sm- it's pretty smart you put a mask on the musicians they're pretty easily replaceable yep unless it's like a huge fat guy going to a skinny guy or something right yeah, that that works too <laughs> maybe what about dying right here i've seen i've seen ghoul members mutate in strange strange ways i, I don't know what the, there is about that. Yeah, that drummer really had a dramatic weight loss dude. program i don't know yeah he just went time. keto dude he just went keto <laughs> right <laughs> so yeah yeah, well, that's pretty shitty, but <laughs> I mean, a lot of bands you're noticing that's happening more and more where bands are going like, okay, we're a band that goes through a bunch of members. So this is how much you're getting paid a, a week is going to be the thing. We can make like 10 times that, but you're getting this base salary and that's about it. I mean, I think that the, it was a really, it was really disillusioning to me as a kid because I always thought like being in a band was like being in a gang, right? Like it's just you and your three or four friends against the world or whatever. And like when when the whole thing, and this is really dating myself here, but in 1990, when uh, when Terry Butler, Bill Andrews, and whoever went to Europe as death without Chuck, and then Chuck fired everybody, I was like, I'm just gonna get a whole new band. I was like, you just got a whole new band on Leprosy. Like, what the fuck? Like what? Like this isn't even a band anymore. I actually like, I when Human came out, I didn't even give it a chance. I was like, fuck Chuck, like fuck him, um, which is ironic. Obviously, playing gruesome years later, but um, <laughs> I was like, this isn't a band. This is just some guy fucking hiring people. Like this is bullshit. At the same time, that's just how the music industry works. And ultimately, like, you know, if you're it, once you get to a certain level, it becomes like a business arrangement as much as an artistic thing or a gang or whatever. And, you know, people now, they're so accustomed to these lineup changes where it used to be a huge deal. Like if somebody left the band, like, holy shit, like, oh my, you know, and I, when I was 16, if somebody left one of my favorite bands, I would have like, that would have fucked up my week, you know? Nowadays, I think people are so used to it and and we know that because especially in underground music when there's not really enough money for people to make a living people will come and go because life changes happen and all of a sudden you can't afford to like go out and just make hardly any money for a month because you have a kid or you have a wife or someone in your family is sick or you just get tired of not making any money or whatever and the audience expects that you know and uh, so it's just um 
it's just sort of like reality infringing on like the rock and roll fantasy mm-hmm. of it all. Um, when you have everybody making tons of money and you're playing stadiums and then somebody leaves, it's like, oh, clearly there's some serious friction. But when you're an underground band and, you know, even like Suffocation Mobile, Frank Mullen's like, like, fuck it, I make more money in my regular job. And like, what do I have to prove? I've made so many good records. I've played every single place. Like, what are we going to do on the... T- 14th suffocation album that we haven't done on the first 13 mm-hmm. like, i'm good i just want to like relax now and you know it's just uh it's just sort of like the real world encroaching on rock and roll you know i think totally dude Go now now the uh, interesting cases are, are a band like gojira that have the same lineup their entire career and right? that's like so cool and unique so yeah <clears throat> I, I always i always think that that must be amazing like you know, uh, you know, my favorite band is Metallica. So I always just think like how neat it must be to, if, you know, you went and played bass and sat in with them. Maybe Robert had a cold or he was at his kid's graduation or whatever. And I'm like, these three guys have been playing together since 1983. They've like mm-hmm. written every song together except for like half the songs on Kill 'Em All. They've written together. So you could just be like, hey guys, you know this song? And they'd be like, yeah, probably. You know, um, and that's like a real neat idea that is so of its time, you know, like mm-hmm. th- that is that is a of a bygone era at this point. It's definitely and, our era, you know what I mean? Like old school, like right. we're, you know, the same age. We grew up like you get a band of brothers, you write music, you've been in a band with somebody since high school, you know, you jam with them until you can or cannot or the success of the band doesn't, you know, does what you wanted to do. But it was you know, the, the mindset of we're brothers in this jam room, hashing it out, doing it together. We fail or succeed together. You know what I mean? It's like and the I, summer of 69 by Ryan yeah. Adams, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We had a band and we tried real yeah. hard. Yeah, Jimmy totally. quit. Joey got married. Yeah. Should we never get far. Yeah, so, yeah I, didn't, I didn't really have that feeling in Exhumed. Well, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I could, I could. I, I felt that. like not a brother, real, pretty, like overnight one time. <laughs> Stepbrother. Fair, fair enough. Yeah, I mean, you know, that was uh, there was a lot of disillusionment, and you know, the '90s for me was like a, basically was like an entire decade of disillusionment. Yeah, so. I, uh, I mean, so I'm, I, I don't know how much younger I am of you guys, but I still had a little taste of that, you know, right before the internet really got popular. I was already in a band before, like, I really knew what the fucking internet was. Fucking so Al it Gore. was just, wait, what? No, let's no, hear it. No, 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 let's hear it, dude. <laughs> I said fucking Al Gore creating the internet. <laughs> yeah, dude. Um, <laughs> but just getting people together from your local area and actually getting into a place where you're physically together. Now it's like so easy to put projects together through the internet. and And I just feel like, what you're what you're touching on is i hope that there's like an adaptation or or some way where you can still have that for the future generations where people just band together like mike was just saying just a band of brothers where everybody get together and you build it together in the moment not fucking okay here's what i did i'm gonna send it to you now you be in a separate moment add to it it's like the moment it's a very weird thing. Cause like, yeah, I, I really do. I used to, you know, we used to record and it would be like the whole band jamming in the room. Like when we go record, right. Right? 
you know, and then it was like a big step. All right, the guitars are going to overdub, but the bass and the drums are going to go all at once. And I really liked that. I liked locking in with the with the drummer, and I liked actually having to practice the shit and know it before you go to the studio. Now it's like, all right, well, here's the tablature, here's the notation, and you're going to get sent the tracks, and you got two weeks. Uh, you don't know half these songs, so just go stick it out in the studio, and it's efficient. And it's great in a lot of ways. I mean, it's certainly you waste a lot less time uh, bullshitting around, but I, I do, I do miss that. And I, and I don't know people as I'm, I'm, I'm older. We're all a bit older in this band. People are like, well, how do, how do you do it? How do you get started? Where do you go? And I'm like, I don't fucking know anymore, man. Good luck. <laughs> this shit's a totally different world. Like, I, mm -hmm. I don't know how you go from being the 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 font band to the logo band on the festival flyer anymore. I'm just, yeah. I'm already, I'm like, I got that little mid-sized logo in any band mm -hmm. I'm in on a flyer, and I don't have to deal with the typeface level anymore. But <laughs> I, so I don't know how you graduate out of that now. I'm just like, I, I'm going on inertia. I mean, I, oh. I think it's just, a, it's a big trade-off, you know? And I think that it's especially important when you're younger and you're kind of like finding your style to really have that, that sweat where you're just in a room three or four nights a week, you know, pissing off your girlfriend, like, no, we're not going to movies or whatever, we're, I'm gonna go and jam with, with the band. And you're kind of figuring out how it all works. Um, you know, in about a month and a half, we're going to start recording our eighth album. So uh, at this point, hopefully we, we know what we're doing. <laughs> um, you know, uh, so we don't have to take that time. And and also being, you know, in our 40s, the three of us are in our 40s, Sebastian's in his 20s, but the three of us are in our 40s. And, and at a certain point, is it reasonable to tell your wife like, yeah, no, I, I can't be around four nights a week because I got to go rehearse. It's like, that just sounds sort of silly, you know? It's a tough um, one, dude. When, when you're 16, 17, 18, 19, 22, I think that's a very reasonable thing. But I feel like if you're still doing this, you know, I'm, I'm 45. If you're still doing it, like, we should have figured it out by now. And there may be, you know, there's a little sort of, Je ne sais quoi that you can't get without jamming together four nights a week, but at the same time, there's an experience I think that we all bring to it now that we don't have to rely on that. We don't have to wait to catch lightning in a bottle. We can just manufacture our own lightning. Um, or, you know, go. that's the hope because we've done this for a long time, and we all you know we know each other's strengths, and we play. Also, the thing is, we play like not last year, obviously, but we normally play like, you know, a hundred shows a year minimum. So it's not like we don't get any time to hang out. We don't get any chemistry. We don't get to play together. Um, so, you know, like, like everything, it's a trade-off. In a lot of ways, it's, but there's a lot more freedom nowadays where I can just, Mike's in Ohio, Ross is in Oakland, I'm in San Luis Obispo. And I just send an email like, yo, here's this song. What do you think? Cool. Or, you know, Ross and I work in Guitar Pro. We just use tablature. And I'll be like, here's the thing. And Ross is like, no, this should go eight times, not 16. Oh, good point. Cool. And then there you go. And it just, rather than being in the room night after night, after night, after night, after night, because hopefully at this point in our career, we've already uh, gone through those steps. But yeah, I completely agree with what you said, Ross. It's like, I have no idea what you do as a kid. Like, what does a 16-year-old do? 
good luck, dude. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, uh, exhumed, the exhumed formula has already been laid in place. Like the, the, you know, the music that exhumed is known for is now Harvey writes all the music. We all collaborate, you know, when it comes time to like rehearsing it, put throwing ideas, but it's like the formula is there. It's just, you know, yeah. Once, once we record, that's when, you know, we, all the ideas come in and then, you know, so. And I, mean, I, I don't know what it's like I mean, for that, other, other bands uh, at all, basically, because <laughs> I've always been in goofy, non-traditional bands, I guess. But like, exhumed, like at the beginning of the pandemic, we had like many like Zoom drinking meetings together as a band. And, you know, so we are, we do have a chemistry and a closeness amongst our members that's partially forged on the road but also i think we've just managed to pick good like-minded people to be in the band or matt has basically surrounded himself with who he chose to be good like-minded people and you know i've toured with mike before when he was in vile and i always liked the guy and shit like that and so but yeah we text all the with each other all the time i don't know do other bands do that do they like like well casey casey joel and i talk almost every day dude Pretty much, dude. I keep in touch with these guys. Well, with the Odie, uh, I don't even know if you know my history or our history, but uh, Casey's my drummer and Joel's bass player and and uh, Odious Mortem. Oh, and, okay. Uh, yeah, and we keep in touch all the time. So I mean, it, it's but we we've, we've grown close over the years as like yeah real best friends brothers you know it's like regardless of what we've done because we've had a a lull of not working together at all like everybody yeah you guys have also had that old school you know where you guys all knew each other at a younger age and and came up together so yeah and uh, and we had our first full like touring experience together it's like it's it's going into battle dude when you do those things with those people like you you solidify a relationship yeah. and you like know? i was gonna say so ross cool. man like we had like a ton of respect for you man like back in the day like going to those like impaled shows and that shit was yeah so, casey like, casey's an rocking an impaled shirt I was like one of his yeah. first odious yeah uh, like in 2004 band I had, like, photos where they shirt. are rocking the yeah. right. crossed arms or something <laughs> <laughs> not me i was like like a dork yeah like, no, i know i'm just i'm doing a callback no. that's cool oh like, totally do think, dude do you yeah. think tobias forge like gets on zoom call like texts like the other na- the nameless ghouls and is like what's up dudes <laughs> you guys <laughs> like like mike mike hamilton though it's like hey guys miss you like right. real sweet yeah oh dude that's that that's genuine it's not sarcastic if i said oh. it it's sarcastic yeah, man. I, I tell these That's guys I, the band, though, you know? I tell these guys I love them probably way more than they want to hear, dude. I really do. And I mean, and, and uh, doing this podcast real quick, I will say I have a genuine love for the Professor Joseph too, as well. Oh, thanks, man. <laughs> up, and if I wanted to give another perspective, just from the you know what's what's it like these days? I'll tell you, I joined a band during the pandemic, and um, we've just had like Zoom. It's Discord, but we have video meetings. And uh, I haven't met the other guys in person. I mean, one of the other dudes in person yet. And we're still like trying to figure out if we mesh like personality wise and everything. How true is that to hear? It's dude, fun figuring it out. Generation. And, and from the more, yeah, yeah. From the more musical side, like the, the project started as a one man band. And it's just one of those solo projects. He programs the drums, records everything. And now the challenge is not doing that but rather finding people willing to play your music because everyone has their own project. And it's like, is it good enough that I want to abandon my own 
project just to play for someone else that's kind of the idea it's like is it and in this case it's so, like the music is so good that i'm like dude this this is going to take me further than i could go myself and that's kind of the decisions people are making but it starts as these solo projects people with their ideas grouping together as opposed to that's three of us we don't know anything let's just figure it out together that's a little different now that doesn't happen as much so right well i think um, the, the thing is too when you're starting out now you have access to so much more information mm -hmm. you know um not just about how to execute the music because you know in the late 80s early 90s like just like how do you play a blast beat that was a fucking mystifying thing like i don't know i've never seen a band that does this live like what do you do but there's so much more information about playing the music there's more information about the business side of it and and there's an expectation i think now that part of being a musician is kind of grooming yourself to be a commodity and marketing yourself and posting on Instagram and whatever. And mm -hmm. that's just part of the thing. Whereas I know when I was approaching it as a kid, it was, I was like, I don't care about that. I'm not interested in that. I don't want to have anything to do with it. I just want to think about writing sick riffs. Like that's it. That's my job. I'm just a riff writer. That's it. And that's people, you know, they've got the benefit of, of information now. So they, they see it as a more integrated whole. We just, we just made shit up. We would do like guerrilla marketing for ourselves. We would go to the local tower records and stick all our amazing. show flyers in the metal magazines like a month in advance. Right. That, that's <laughs> a, that was I a that. early trolling. Analog trolling. Just rolling to a Kinko's with your squad and making stickers and J cards oh, for yeah. your demo tapes, you know? Oh, yeah. We got to know the lady at the Kinko's real well. She'd give us Cheryl. like fat discounts. Yeah. I, I also think one of, the, one of the great things about playing in a band, too, um, as life has gone on and we've all gotten older, one of the things that, you know, I saw with my own parents or, or whatever is that the older you get, the harder it is to have friends because you've got. A job you've got responsibilities maybe you got kids you got this and that and some of the best times i've ever had have just been like sitting around with my friends talking about stupid shit getting drunk and being able to be in my mid-40s and still have those experiences like for months at a time but not recently because of the pandemic but being able to go out for for four or five weeks with my friends and just be in a van and just shooting the shit Ross and I will be talking about, you know, 70s Marvel comics and bumming everybody out. Sebastian and I will be talking about 70s Kiss and bumming most people out or whatever. But just <laughs> getting a chance to still have those relationships as a, a, like a grown, a grown ass man, that's like super valuable. And it's something that is hard to do. Like the older you get and the more adult you get in life, it's really hard to have good friendships, especially in the United States. It's not like, England where you stop at the pub for two hours before you go home from work and the whole yeah. neighborhood's there and everybody you grew up with and you all shoot the shit we don't have that same culture it sounds so fucking dope though <laughs> it's 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 super valuable you know and I think that's been one of the things that's grating on me during the pandemic is like you know like my wife and I just start annoying each other and we're just having a normal conversation and I'm like this is annoying <laughs> and it's like oh yeah because I've been home for fucking 15 months like dude normally i leave you know and it's the same thing for her she's like normally you're gone like fuck, come on so <laughs> you you do you get moments like this is going to be terrible because but you get moments like this on on the road oh is this 
Oh yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> What's the song? I think it's video probably audio thing, is cutting it? out. We can't hear it, but we can no. see it. Yeah, it sounds like shit. I think what's that fucking dumb LA retro band that you guys both like? <laughs> they sing about like sex and dicking around. Steel, Panther. Steel Panther. Yeah, Mike. Yeah, I think it? it's oh, a Steel yeah, Panther song you're singing. Yeah. Oh, probably oh, Stripper Girl or something. Yeah. Probably. Something. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, we have a lot of good moments like that on the road with just bullshitting. Yeah. I guess that's the hangout time. We don't get it as much in the rehearsal, but we right. we try to make up for it by just being dickheads on the road. It's yeah, also a testament so. to like, you know, the bond that a band has, the success of a band really like you can like send files to each other and create a killer album and it's awesome. But you stick five motherfuckers in a van and you cruise the United States for five weeks and see how that goes. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh, I was just thinking that that's the thought that I was having. I was like, uh, uh, I, you I can just do got... that and you guys can not kill each other and also have successful tour. Like it's a testament to like, you know, the strength of a band, to be honest. I was wondering if Casey and Joel and I would have kept in touch pretty much every day if we had been a touring band. We'd probably get the fuck over each other and do the same exact thing you guys are doing is taking breaks. I mean, like, when you get done, it's cool to, like, not talk to everybody for, like, two weeks. But, like, two weeks and, like, you're good, you know? It's just like with your your chick. It's good to get away for, like, two weeks. And then two weeks go by and you're like, Oh, I wonder what she's doing. Like, it'd be cool to like, you know, fucking get laid or cuddle or whatever, you know. Absence and, makes the heart grow fonder. Yeah, I, and you know, of course, we get saturated with each other, but I mean, we, we also have a lot of fun. You know, yeah. it's a blast. You know, yeah. we're out there doing what we love to do. We're having a blast. We're supporting each other. We're you know, we're tight knit. We're taking care of each other, getting on each other's nerves, making sure everybody's good. It's so you know that it, it's a, it's a it's if that's that's one piece of advice I could impart to kids younger people than me is like Everybody. just drop drop the fucking ego share things no one's job is more important than anybody else's job like everybody should kind of do their part Exum has that Mike is a great mother who takes care of everybody <laughs> he hates when I call him that but it's true he looks he's funny he's our, everybody um, everybody um, moves he's here. our dad he's our dad and he's yeah, we always mom, call him dude. our dad yeah we're, 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 we're siblings dude <laughs> yeah we're, we have kind of a thing like we just have a dynamic that works you know like Mike and I are sort of like the mom and dad. Mike is always like, oh, is everybody okay? I'm like, they're five. They can goddamn take care of them fucking selves. <laughs> and it's just enough of, of both, you know? And Our, Ross, ours is the, the tough love and I'm the nurturer. And, <laughs> and Ross, is, Ross is also, he's the cynic. Like Sebastian's the young idealist. Like it's just the power of rock, man. Like our rock music is going to see us through. And then Ro- Ross is the guy who's like, nothing will work. You're all idiots. And, and it, so we have a good balance of of everything, you know. Where and we are, we're a very DIY band, and that's something that kind of took me a while to kind of accept that that's if you want to keep doing this at an underground level, it's just a lot of fucking work. Like there's a lot of stuff that isn't just coming up with sick riffs. Like in my dream, I just want to come up with sick riffs. I, I, I don't care about anything else, but I have to in order to like keep having an audience for the sick riffs. Yeah. And um, we all work together and everybody works hard and, and we pull together and, you know, we're not geniuses or anything, but we don't have like a master plan, but everybody comes together as a team and, you know, some days maybe somebody slacks off and somebody else picks up the slack for them. Usually me, 
Um, <laughs> I'm usually the slacker, not not the not the person picking up the slack. But um, it, it's uh, it, it really does become like a, a family dynamic with a band that is going to like function and and stand the test of time. And you know, for for me, that's always sort of whatever else I'm doing. I do a lot of other bands and projects, but. I always look at Exhumed as like my main band because it's the most family-ish band, you know, and, and sort of everything else that I'm doing spirals off from yeah. that family, you know. It's like the beacon so, of your creativity. It's like the where it all started and then you right. branched out a little bit. It's the center nobody, of gravity. Nobody else is going to work harder for your band than yourself. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like we, we print yeah. our own shirts when we can. You know, we've got a studio, we record our own music, we're trying to do as much stuff on our own as we can just to keep, you know, other hands out of it and have more control over it, you know what I mean? Yeah, control, ownership, um, you know, all those things sort of become important. Not that, you know, when I was a little kid, I thought there was going to be a, a guy in a suit being like, you guys should make a love ballad. And I'd be like, no, sir, we're a death metal band, we don't do that. Like, that, <laughs> that's not the kind of control issues that, that exist. Um, but it is just about being able to you know control your own destiny make your own decisions call your own shots and and do things on your own terms for the right reasons not just making an album because somebody is saying like well guys it's been two years and blah 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 you know um and and just streamlining and and showing thrift on these things like not you know there is that that diy punk ethic maybe i don't know if we kind of had it as teenagers like because i mean i also grew up listening to punk rock and stuff but you know like mike yeah mike there's a printing press in the exhumed studio mike and matt matt how much i don't know if you do a bunch of printing but i know mike does printing i don't do printing so matt doesn't print matt rick's riffs mike prints the shirts i'm doing graphic layouts for different shit making posters print and printing that shit up and it's i i've just always kind of liked that ethic of I don't even know how much of it's just, but I'm just crawl and just go in guns blazing and just try to make as much out of this as you can. You don't rest on laurels and you don't, it, you don't wait for someone else to do something for you. Mm-hmm. That's cool, Mike, that you're still printing up the t-shirts. You were doing that over at uh, the unique leader headquarters for a while, right? Yeah, for sure. It's a talent that just won't ever escape me. (laughs) (laughs) I also also enjoy it. I enjoy creating and, and, you know, keeping our costs low so the band can make as much money as possible so we can pay ourselves, pay bills and, you know, and have creative control. You're like the friend with the truck that has the truck that everyone, oh, I need to help move. It's called the friend with the truck. (laughs) Well, I think, you know, I I think about it sometimes and a lot of the things that we've done, you know, especially in the last few years, as far as like, I'm sitting right here in our studio, this is the control room, our live room where we recorded the last album and stuff is over there. The screen printing shop is right there. And, you know, Mike has sort of pushed me into these things that I was kind of resistant towards. I was always like, well, it's a lot of work. I want someone else to do it, whatever. Yeah, we'll make less money or have less control. But, and I feel like Mike had, for me, has been like that, coming from being in deeds where eric obviously had his own label and he was printing his own shirts and he was booking deeds shows and he was doing everything you know mike was able to sort of see the advantages of that and push us in that direction um to a healthy amount where you know you know the 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 issue with deeds was that 
Deeds was sort of the flagship band of the label so that the money that was made from Deeds maybe went more into Unique Leader than into the band itself. We don't have that issue because we're not running a record label and I'm not trying to break X number of bands or whatever. Um, but he, he was able to see the, the, the positive sides of that. And we've been able to sort of incorporate that into what we do. And, you know, I think we're in a much better place going forward. And, you know, obviously this last year has really changed what we wanted to do from a business standpoint. Um, however, you know, it's still going to be beneficial when things resume, hopefully, you know, the next six, seven months. Yeah, nobody anticipated, the, you know, the pandemic, but I mean, the, did. The, the idea is to be self-sufficient, to have, you know, a compound where you can do everything, record your own stuff and right. print your own stuff and just have more control. And that was the vision. And, you know, and it's, had it not been for the pandemic, we would have been able to utilize our space more, obviously, but. Right. I mean, you know, we've tried we to. In the future, and that, that's the whole thing. We build a, a place, a foundation where we can, you know, have camp exhumed and do everything exhumed out of our one spot. You know? Yeah, but when the world throws, lemon, uh, throws you lemons, you still make lemonade. We still had stuff yeah. this year. Right. For sure. We still did stuff. So we yep. still, you know. You I did the, the split with Gruesome or that, that. That was already in the works. Okay. That, that was, was going to be for a tour. come out with a yeah. tour, <laughs> but I mean, we'd put out two, no, th basically three live shows, yeah, um, on the internet because we just can't stop working even if we can't be working. Well, we got to go really have way no to choice. <laughs> I mean, that, that's the other thing is that we're committed now to you know paying the overhead here on having our own studio, and that drives the work the necessity of working drives the work which to me i don't find contradictory to being creative at all i actually find it to be stimulating having something to do shakespeare had bills that's right <laughs> i mean you know ingmar bergman like when he was making the seven seal he was like i don't know it was a project that came to the studio and i did it and then three months later i was working on some other film and it's like wow you just made the greatest movie in history cool and then a year later you just made wild strawberries like holy shit so to me the creativity comes from working it's not that the working comes from creativity i don't sit around waiting for a fucking spark it's like this is what we do so it's gonna mm -hmm. you know it's gonna happen i was gonna ask about uh mike i was texting you about so the first album that you did like adjoining uh was it the necrocracy yeah necrocracy that was 2000 that is a yeah. fucking yeah. amazing album dude <laughs> yeah. it was it was fun so to much. record and it was for me it was a nice change um you know matt wrote all the music for it and he's like i've been demoing this stuff for a while and it was i was at a turning point where you know deeds is not active um Eric didn't want to tour because he was more focused on label stuff. Matt had just moved uh, to the Central Coast and I knew he was moving to the Central Coast. I said, you know, we'll just jam out a couple of times. And that turned into be like, hey, well, why don't you join the band? Because I don't have a drummer. I have a new album. So, you know, we went for I think a couple of years touring on the um, Long Guts, No Glory. Yeah, and that was then, a long tour cycle. That was a yeah, long tour cycle. So <laughs> that was my introduction to the band. Like I knew Matt would move to the Central Coast. I've known him from for years for the Bay Area. And that was for me, it was a spark. It was like, cool, this is an opportunity to just at first just jam with somebody because Eric wasn't really into jamming. He had the carpal tunnel and all that. So it's like started off to be, you know, just kind of like a 
know, what's the first song you you uh jammed with them oh shoot it's i don't know you... frost cover. yeah yeah, maybe. <laughs> nice. yeah no but it was nice because it was just you know it was a breath of fresh air it was a new style of music to play and and matt was a super driven guy and he's you know outgoing and just super fun to be around and and you know we created a friendship real quick and uh it was just it's kind of nice you know but uh necrocracy when we did that record it was just uh it was my opportunity to kind of put my style, you know, um, on the drumming, you know, of Exhum. And it was fun. I uh, had a great time. And it was, he gave me the, you know, the creative freedom just to kind of like, yeah. you know, he, he's like, here's, here's the basic format. And then just, you know, put your flair on it. And I was like, all right, cool. So I think I've listened to that album like at least 10 times in the last like week and a half. Like, and wow. I thought you said two times ever, and I was like, "That's nice of you." Oh, <laughs> and like, everything, dude. All of, <laughs> like I've listened the the twisted horror thing and all that, and then death revenge and horror and the new, dude. I've been rocking it. Oh, I love awesome, it all. Man, that's cool. Yeah, that's what's good about uh, Casey is that he definitely fucking he goes deep on the discography, and he definitely freshens up those years before nice. he does an episode. <laughs> I think the thing that was cool for me was, you know, I knew Mike for a long time, sort of as like a, you know, an acquaintance, whatever. Um, we weren't like tight bros from back in the day, but we were definitely like very friendly. Like if I saw him, I'd be like, hey, what's up, man? And, uh, you know, the thing I guess that, that we sort of bonded on when we started jamming was because he's coming from more of like a tech death thing and I'm more of like a punk thrash infused kind of death metal. And it was like, well, where's our common ground? It's like, oh, I love Merciful Fate. You love Merciful Fate. I love Celtic Frost. You love Celtic Frost. Like, so it was almost more like the pre-death metal or proto-death metal stuff that we sort of found a common ground on, you know? Um, obviously, Deeds is much more technique-driven than Exhum. Um, Exhum is much more rock-oriented, but it, it wasn't hard at all to sort of find that chemistry and find where, like, you know, like I said, we arrived at the same place just from opposite directions, and, yeah. and it was pretty easy to pick up that thread. It, it helps that Mike is one of the few technical drummers who can actually also groove. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that came from, you know, just years of, I like Matt said, I grew up listening to the same classic rock, classic metal stuff, and that's kind of where my heart lies is with thrash and, you know, classic death metal. Um, and so it was just a nice you know, for me, transition to go from the super tech deed stuff to just kind of go into something that I basically started with, with like, you know, violence right. and Exodus and Testament and the Bay Area stuff. And then, you know, just build on that. That's kind of my roots. So it just, it was a natural, you know, kind of progression to get into the Zoom style, just add some more blast beats. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because sure. we, we, we played with, with like John Longstreth uh, on a couple tours who is obviously an, an incredible drummer. Yep. And this was, you know, 2004 now. And at the time, John was so focused on presenting the John Longstrip brand of drumming that he was, he couldn't really like get past that. So I was a little wary of playing with like a tech death drummer again. But, you know, Mike is super humble and he's not, you know, he doesn't, give a shit about the Mike Hamilton brand. I mean, even playing with Danny Walker on, on All Guts and he did some of the Anatomy's Destiny touring as well. He was trying to build the Danny Walker brand of drumming. That was his thing. Whereas Mike is a guy who's like, I'm in the band. Like, I just want to be in a band. Like, 
I'm going to do, you know, he has his own style, but he's not out to sort of be like force his personality onto the band. He's like, he wants to, he plays to the song, you know, mm -hmm. which is, and that's really, you know, maybe because I'm, I'm egotistical and I wrote most of the songs, but it's like, that's what I want is I want everyone to play to the song to, but to I mean, Matt, Matt, you, you undersell yourself. You're not like super fascist about it. He's let me build up the Ross brand of bass playing which is largely poor no, it's, <laughs> he lets me do it that, I, see i don't think of it as poor i think of it as like establishing root notes which is sort of a lost art because so many like bass playing is about root notes and bass playing is about playing with the drummer that's how you play bass that's how rudy sarzo fucking plays bass that's how steve harris plays bass geezer butler cliff burton well maybe not cliff so much but that's how, that's just bass playing you're supposed to play the fucking root note you're not supposed to play everything the guitar is playing because you're supposed to fill up the space because the guitar is busy and i mean i don't know like i've you know as the years have gone by you know when we started i was like a death metal grindcore guy then i became like a thrash guy then i became like a hard rock guy like sometime around like 2002 i was like cool my frame of reference is now ufo and diamond head and thin lizzy like that's what I want to do, but playing death metal and grindcore. And I think having simplified bass lines fits in with like the rock paradigm. And I think that that's something that death metal sort of lost along the way towards brutality in the name of becoming more extreme, bro. Um, <laughs> whereas like Slowly We Rod and Scream Bloody Gore and Symphonies of Sickness and so on are still rooted in some kind of rock-ish tradition. And that's sort of what we tried to Matt do. Does, Matt, he does, Matt sends me, when, when we start working on a record, he usually sends me the stuff without bass lines. So I guess he does have some kind of faith in me. Right, uh, that's your job. I tease a lot, but uh, and, and he teases me for not warming up before shows very often. But <laughs> he does send me the stuff. And that is that is my, my thought with bass playing is like, it's not there. I'm not there to Steve DiGiorgio it out. I don't need to do a bunch of tapping that, that won't even get picked up in the mix. Right. I want to be there to really effectively drive the kick drum harder with the melody and keep the 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 rhythm going. And so, yeah, I, I think that is something lost on some bass players, at least, is you are part of the rhythm section. You're not a lead player. You're and, you know, I got vocals to keep me distracted. If anything's too simple or whatever. I don't. But yeah, I'm more into not the flash but just driving the beat and working with mike and that's that's another pleasure working with mike is mike is really good on tempo and steady to play with and part of the reason i was really willing to rejoin with it zoom was because not only had i toured with mike and he was a super nice guy to tour with but i was like he's a fucking great drummer i really want to jam with him and be in that rhythm section oh yeah work, work we're going back that. to the bass stuff that's you yeah. know that's Sometimes you got to know your role. I mean, not know your role, but just like, just if you want to contribute to the music the most, I mean, because with Decrepit and stuff, I could be doing all the riffs with, you know, Matt and stuff like that. But I kind of wanted it like the, the accent, just the heavy, the heavy stuff. I wanted that to stick out the most. If it's simpler, if it's dumber, it fucking makes it sound better. I don't, you know, that's, that's all that really matters to me. Just I think, like, that, yeah, that's, def, that's the way to go with, with playing bass. It's, yeah, you're not like, you're not trying to flash. I mean, you can, you can have your little moments, you can have your little bass runs, bass fills as long as it's appropriate but i think you're you can't forget that you're there to work with the drums exactly. and that you know the guitars will carry the melody and and you're just this undercurrent of sound that that can really drive it i mean even if you listen to like 
old disco where i mean they're playing some crazy technical shit but it never detracts from what from the overall melody of the song it's always working to keep the rhythm going keep people dancing you're not stealing focus you're not you're basically keeping your accenting everything yeah that was one of the important things for me to you know assuming you know the, the role of drummer in exhume i didn't want to you know bring in my personality i wanted to keep the format and keep it true to the exhumed sound because i respected cole so much in the band and their sound you know i didn't want to do i'm not doing bomb blasts in the middle of a fucking exhume song like i'm i'm, I'm gonna stick to the format add my personality to it but not so drastically where it changes the sound of the song mm-hmm. you know i had my opportunity to do that on new albums but when it came to learning the old material I was pretty like set on learning it the way that it was written and recorded, you know, and just keep it true to the sound because as a, as a fan of music, the worst is when you go to listen to a band live and they have a new member and then they completely change the song that you know it to be. And just like, well, why does that guy get to do that? Why does he get to change the sound of the whole band? Because he's the new guy. It's like, just stick to the format of the band, play the music the way it's supposed to be played you know, add your personality, but, you know, just keep it true. For, I mean, from coming from a fan's point of view, that's where my drive was to play the music and exhume the way that it was recorded and people expected the sound. That kind of reminds me of when I saw Necrophagus <clears throat> and they had like one of the best drummers in the world, Marco Miniman, playing drums for them. And I was like, and they just went, just he went bananas with like all these like extra, like, well, and I was like, dude, yeah, it's like, away from this. Yeah, like it's I understand you're one of the best song. in the world. Yeah, you're one of the best in the world. I get it, but like, right. just do like you know, your for your role for this band shouldn't be that. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I remember that specifically. I went to go see Exhum when they played in Santa Barbara. Me and Jacoby went down there, and that's uh, Longstreth was playing with them at the time. And not to you know, I'm not talking any bad shit about Longstreth. He's great at what he does, but I remember a specific part in one of the songs. He just dropped into a bomb blast. It was just like I was so confused. I was like, well, what? I've never heard this beat on any Exhum album whatsoever. Like it makes no sense, but like in the moment, that's and that's a testament to like just play the music that the band is known, you know, to represent. Don't put your flair on it because you're trying to promote yourself. It's like the band, you know, the music yeah. is the music. Play the music for what and it I, is. I, I know exactly what section you're talking about. There's <laughs> like this this solo part that the riffs just like do so I can just do my little bit. And then all of a sudden, launch with dude. I was like, <laughs> trying to play it by someone. I was like, what the fuck is this guy doing? And I love John, and we're really yeah, good. We all love him. And we laugh about it now. Yeah, and I know that he wouldn't do that now, but you know, he was a young Turk that was just out to, yeah, you know, prove. He, I think it was right when he got fired from Origin and was moving to Skinless, so he really had something to prove, and he was just all about like, yo, check this out, boom, and. You know, we weren't the right band for that. <laughs> but yeah. so you know, that's I the thing. John. I just, yeah, I just, I just kept it, you know, kept it honest to what Exhum's all about, and just, you know, compliment, not try to overpower. You know what I mean? And that that was weird for me because I was like, this guy has more respect for our songs than I do. I'm like, this song sucks. <laughs> like, this fucking drumming is stupid. Just do whatever you want. And he's like, no, no, I'll just do the same thing. I was like, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah of course, want, man. man. The integrity of the song, you know, play with. <laughs> um, Matt, can I ask you about playing the Death to All stuff? I think Casey and I both went to the San Francisco show. Oh, cool. And that was one of the best metal shows I've ever seen. <laughs> I know behind the scenes, 
you know, I, I heard stories or accounts or whatever, but like just from the perspective of fan going, that was so sick. Gorgut's opening, you coming out to do the old stuff. And then just, I mean, that was just one of the fucking coolest events in my life. I still remember that so well. Can you just, how was it getting to do that, that um, whole event? I mean, it was a very weird, the whole situation was sort of weird. Mm -hmm. um, like many things in my career, um, I was not the first choice. Um, Stephen from Obscure was supposed to be there. And I guess it was about nine days before the first gig, it became clear he was not going to get his visa. And so I was contacted. I'd met Eric Greif, who's like the, you know, was the on and off deck manager and he manages the IP for checks of state or whatever. And he's mm -hmm. also relapses lawyer. Um, so I met him when we played in Calgary where he was living and he promoted our show. And I think I just saw in the contact sheet, I was like, Eric Greif, are you Eric Greif that produced that like numbskull record and used to manage death? And he's like, yeah, I am. And so I got in this big conversation with him and talking about, um, different bands in Milwaukee area that used to manage Numbskull and Viagression and so on and so forth. And, you know, whatever, we got on and he was a nice guy. And then I saw him again in Los Angeles for some sort of relapse scion thing. I think he was there as a lawyer. And I said, oh, I heard that there's going to be this death reunion thing. Mm -hmm. If you need a guy, like I sing in a kind of a similar register to Chuck and I know all the lyrics to the first three albums like off the top of my head. And I didn't really think much of it. And that was, that was the end. And then they started announcing it. And nine days before the first gig, I got this email like, oh, Stefan's probably not going to make it, but he might make it. Would you be willing to learn the songs just in case? Because he might still come or he may not and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay. And um, so I didn't really have a lot of time to prepare. And I wasn't really clear on what I was going to be doing, you know? And so I, I drove up um to the first rehearsal we i think we had like two days of rehearsal maybe two and a half days of rehearsal and it was a really weird scene because it was like you know 12 people there that were rotating in and out and um you know for me i'm more familiar with the first three albums like that's how i learned how to play guitar was like learning those riffs by ear and to come in and play like the philosopher was a song i was like well, I'm, not, I'm not that familiar with it you know like compared mm -hmm. to you know regurgitated gods or mutilation or you know born dead or whatever and so i my, my the very first thing i did was i'm just sitting there and it was like gene hoagland steve Giorgio, i want to say bobby coble maybe or it might have mm -hmm. been um it might have been shannon and we're playing i think zero tolerance and i'm just sitting there like i learned this song i heard the song probably for the first time like two weeks before i've been learning it for like eight or nine days and like Luke LeMay from Gorguts and all these people, like Paul Masvidal, Sean Reiner, they're just sitting around, like just hanging out. And then we're like, okay, let's run through the song. And I was like, this is so fucking awkward. And we're playing the song and, and the tempo's kind of dragging. And I was like, uh, what do I do, dude? Like, <laughs> and we, we got done playing the song and I was like, um, uh, Gene, because I, I met Gene a few times, but I felt like in my mind, they're like, Mr. Hoagland, <laughs> I was like, see when the tempo was like kind of slow, man. He's like, yeah, man, I'm tired today, dude. It's tempo's dragging. I'm gonna, I'm gonna kick it up. And I was like, okay, because I was so fucking nervous, you know, like growing up, like Dark Angel, Sadist, Death. I mean, those are like, you know, my some of my favorite bands. Mm -hmm. Totally. And um, the 
anyway, we got through the first rehearsal and the second rehearsal, they, they went pretty good. And then I think we played at the club at the Regency or the Regent, whatever it is. Yeah. And that rehearsal didn't go very good. I couldn't hear because the club was empty. It was real echoey and I felt nervous. And I remember walking around San Francisco um, like the day before the first show. And I was like, you know what? Fuck these guys. Like, fuck them. Like, I'm not going to give them that much respect. Like, no, I'm here because I should be. Like, I don't give a shit. Like, I don't even like strapping him, lad. Who gives a fuck? Whatever. <laughs> fuck these guys. And before the show, I fucking went and I drank like four beers and I took a shot and I went to the fucking bathroom and jerked off to relax. And <laughs> I remember coming out coming out on stage and it was like the first song was the philosopher and it was just like as soon as it started everyone's like i know this song and i was like all right cool like i and then i just felt relaxed and i was in the driver's seat and honestly as soon as the audience got into it i felt very comfortable because i wasn't thinking like holy shit dude i'm jamming with the guy that went in darkness descends because you know sober and without the audience to focus on that's what i was thinking about i was like holy dude, this guy played on Hunger of the Fucking Undead. Like, I can't believe it. This is amazing. And um, anyway, so I sort of, I sort of psyched myself into it. And after the first show, it got, it got much easier. But it was really, like, kind of fucking terrifying, to be honest. Crazy. Yeah. You heard it here first, guys. Four <laughs> beers, a shot, and a, a wank session. <laughs> right? You're ready to fucking play with any fucking band, dude. You can relax. I mean, that's the thing. Is like I can't carry around all that tension. It just makes me, you know, overthink things. So totally. I had to just turn my brain off a little. Yeah, that is a that's a perfect mindset. The the fuck the fuck it, dude. I don't fucking you know that actually calms you yeah. down so much. It's like right. it's like almost like the the audience's naked kind of thing. Like it's like fuck it. I don't fucking care. Like I don't give a shit. Like, they call me. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. called me, motherfucker. Yeah. I, I think it, it was it was honestly it was more like sports. Like you know, I just thought about the the seventies Raiders playing the Steelers, yeah, who are like you know the best team in football all the time. And the Raiders, everyone looks down at them like, oh, these guys are just a bunch of fucking thugs from the street. They play dirty ball. This guy's got fucking shit taped all over his arms. Like fuck them. They're just like bullshit. And it's like you know what? I don't owe fucking Terry Bradshaw anything. Like fuck that guy. Yeah. And, yeah. It's weird because obviously we're all on the same team, but for me, I had to I had to disassociate a little bit because I would have been like, "Oh my god, I'm playing with Steve DiGiorgio. This is so great!" Yeah. And that's the mindset that would make me. Yeah, you could be in the middle of a mistakes. riff and overthink it and fucking think right. like, like, "Oh take shit, yourself, that's the yeah, yeah. this the, take yourself the perfect mindset." mindset. Yeah, exactly. At the end of the day, you know how to play your instrument. You know how to you know you you know the yeah. song right. Like, do it perfect in your room every day like i mean just because there's a couple there's a there's a fancy guy sitting behind you doesn't mean you need to fuck that are you up. talking about playing ribs or jacking off <laughs> <laughs> the fancy guy behind me he helps me out he gives me tips you're making me nervous i can't quite fit it bro can you turn your head to the left <laughs> can i finish i'm just there? imagining i'm just imagining gene hoagland dressing fancy dude <laughs> Well, I think that's the thing is to, especially Gene, like he was, he was the nicest guy. And totally. He was the easiest to jam with. Like Steve is a little bit of a ball buster. Great dude. Like I, I love Steve. But Gene is like a really nice, like a, just a real sweetheart. He's a teddy bear. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he, obviously he's Gene Hoagland. You don't like come in like they're hot shit or whatever, but he treats everybody great and he, He's, he's very easy to work with and, and he was very helpful and, and sean reiner um you know was he actually ended up becoming like my my buddy on that tour 
Uh, and uh, that's awesome, dude. Because he would always wear a Heat jersey, and so we would just start talking about basketball at the time. Mm-hmm. Like the Warriors were quite hot, as you know, were coming yeah. up before mm-hmm. they became like the dynasty team. And so we would just sit around and talk about about basketball. And then what was great about Sean is that obviously he's a jazz fusion guy, but he also was like a hardcore punk guy. And I was like, Sean Reinhardt's into like Ludacrist and Cryptic Slaughter, like sick. <laughs> and he's from South Florida. So of course we would both be like in the back of the bus, just fucking doing bumps and shit and just like talking shit. And I was like, this guy is more fun than anybody. Like I love, him. I love Sean, you know? That's why I was so gutted when he, when he died just completely unexpectedly but i don't know everybody on that tour like he and i like for whatever reason just bonded you know mm-hmm. yeah r.i.p sorry joseph i cut you off earlier dude i don't oh no i don't know what you were gonna say but i'm sorry oh no dude all good i just <laughs> thanks thanks for sharing that's <laughs> like that that's why we do this podcast is just These to get stories, stories like that right. that's that's what we're going for man that's all it's all Most about definitely yeah. dude just do cocaine well that tour was the tour that, that spawned what's that mike what'd you say mike said, that's the tour that spawned the conversation between harvey and uh gus rios no that, that was not that tour that was it a was vacation tour okay where, because they asked me to do the second death to all thing but it was like because the first one, it was sort of a mishmash because Sick Drummer was kind of running the show and then Eric kind of came in and he was running the show. And so there was a lot of questions about getting paid. In fact, one of the things that I still held on to is my bounce check from that tour. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, just, I'll probably always keep that just as a reminder, don't ever take a check. That's <laughs> Brooks, right? Never yeah. take a check. Um, and so the... They asked me like, oh, do you want to do this? And do you want to do that? And I was like, well, you know, this is sort of a weird thing. Um, I don't want to, I don't, I don't know who's in control of it. And I don't know where it's going. Whereas my own band, like I know that in five years, it's still going to be us in control. And I'm not going to like prioritize death all over Zoom. So we were out with Suffocation. Suffocation went to Canada. We can't get into Canada because Mike has a DUI. I have a DUI. Our old guitar player, Bud, has two DUIs. Dylan has uh, our production guy, Dr. Filthy. He has DUI. So I can enjoy as much poutine as I want. Ross can get it in Canada, right. <laughs> they love me there. Right. Uh, so we just, you know, we our, our agent was like, book these shows without Exhumed and we'll meet back up with you. So one of the fill dates was, actually two of the fill dates was with Death All. We played in Silver Springs, Maryland and Worcester, Mass. And that's where I met Gus and Gus and I were talking like, oh yeah, that's all cool. But like, what if, what if it was, you know, James Murphy, Terry Butler, Gus Rios and me, and we just played the first three albums. Mm-hmm. Like now that would be the death all that I want to see. And then I just said to Gus like, oh, well, you know, if Eric doesn't make it happen, like we'll just make our own band that sounds just like death. And that would be hilarious. <laughs> and anyway, so yeah, here we are. Boom, and 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 that shit is rad, dude. And gruesome is sick as fuck. And I hope I can catch you guys live sometime, man. Well, I hope so. I hope we get to play live. (laughs) uh, You know, I mean, it's that's just a really fun like labor of love or whatever. You know. Yeah. Ross, I had a question for you, just from a friend. Um, he asked me to ask you about uh from I got a text. I might be in awkward situation because he texted me after that that you guys broke up awkwardly but ludicra he yeah. was asking what's up i mean how did is that even a thought is that even 
still going or what's going on with that? It's, I mean, it's not definitely not going, but I mean, what's going right now, but um, <laughs> there was, I'll, 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 I'll say this without revealing too much. Cause there's not really anything to reveal um, yet. There was some talks about some things um, creatively ludicrous will never, ever exist again. I can say that much. Like there's never going to be another uh, Ludica record, um, but uh, there might be some reason to jam some Ludica riffs at some point. Uh, there, there would have been possibly for this year, but that's out of the question. So if people's health keep up, who knows, maybe there'll be some reason for me to practice some old songs. Okay. Gotcha. So that's, that's about all I can really say in the middle of a pandemic when nothing ever quite came together so there was there's two female singers in that is that there was a uh it was the the lineup was uh me on bass uh Ace, aesop hantman on drums uh john cobbett on guitar and then uh Lori sue shanneman was on vocals and then christy cather was on guitar and vocals christy and Lori are continuing to play in a band called ales which is oh. not too dissimilar from Ludicra, and I've it's definitely them. worth your time to check out if you're yeah. a fan of Ludicra style material. So they're jamming together. Um, I jammed with them a little bit when they started, but I just didn't really have the time when I had a bunch of shit going on. And I was like, I'm just, you guys should just go do your thing and without me. And that way it's maybe a little bit less of Ludicra part two or something. Yeah. And, uh, but I mean, we all keep up uh, texting with those guys and talking with them here and there, like through the pandemic and through the years. So nice. it's all very friendly now. Nothing harsh to say about it. There was there was a it was a shitty breakup, but that happened. That's what, we're that's all what, friends uh, still. That's what my uh, buddy was saying. That like he, he I mean he's all ask him about this, and then like right after like I saw the text after he's like I guess the guitar player or someone like broke up, and then the two female singers found out online or something. And I was like, yeah, oh. that happened. <laughs> it was pretty shitty. There was a lot of shit. There was a lot of uh, shitty behavior all the way around, and I tried I. There was a couple people I didn't talk to for quite some time. Um, mm. But again, we're all friends now. I mean, shit, I didn't talk to Matt for like 10 fucking years, but. Uh, we, 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 we fired Ross in a very shitty way. It was not cool at all. So. Was well, I mean, the, way? Tensions, huh? had grown, tensions, tensions had gotten high. We were kids. We were shitty. We've had a big, we've had long discussions about this before I was even back in the band officially. Long, drunken, very drunken discussions. Well, we were Which, talking about some feelings. At least I was. I mean, we so, talked about uh, feelings, and then we talked about how hot uh, uh, the lady from Buck Rogers was, Aaron Gray. Gray. Oh, she's so hot. <laughs> That's kind of how the conversation <laughs> kind of so went dream. through waves like that, and we realized, oh shit, we didn't talk for years, but we really are still really good friends because I guess our brains, you know, like those formative years in your teens and early twenties, we were still around each other, hanging out, reading comics, and doing the same dumb shit. So me going, like when Matt was finally like, hey, do you want to maybe come back in the band? I was like, first, I looked at the lineup first and the lineup looked pretty good. <laughs> like I, there was like, oh, it was Mike and Bud. I, I like those guys. That's cool. And then, uh, and I was like, yeah, let's give this another shot. We're actually getting along pretty well. Maybe this will work out. So, and it's been a lot of fucking fun. So that that's shit. Cool, dude. I, I think that's super cool because it's like, we're all getting older. You realize like, all the bullshit that happened in the past, it doesn't fucking mean shit because we're here right now in this moment. Right now we're having a fucking great time. We're Everybody's having a renaissance. Everybody's fucking making music together again. You know, it's just like, it, 
And I think you get the perspective where you can be like, hey, you did X and Y wrong. And I also did S, T, U, and V wrong. And you can be like, now, uh, 20 years later or whatever, like we've each done our own things and it's not so life or death. It's not like, oh, I've been working on an exam since I was 15 and you screwed up this split seven inch. So like, fuck you because, ah. Yeah. It's like, hey, what now, split seven inch Ross, was that, Matt? Ross, oh, here we go, here we go. <laughs> <next one. laughs> Ross had mentioned that ego earlier. Ross, no, no, we gotta adjudicate this right now. What split seven inch did I fuck up? <laughs> well, there's two. There's the dignities that are dead and then totally fucking dead. I didn't fuck those up. You fucked those up. No, no, no. <laughs> See? I'm very back. mature about it now. We're, we're right back in, in 98. But Dude, I'm, wait. We'll talk about that hot chick again real quick. Just Eric Gray, about, yes. You guys need a bass Eric player? Eric Gray, Buck Rogers. <laughs> there you go. You guys, are, you guys are set again. You and guys it, are leveled out. And it's cool. You know, it's just, it's cool to be able to have the perspective. And, and for me, at least, it was about like, you know, it was about A, number one, self-knowledge being like oh i'm like a primary contributor to like the bad vibes as well instead of just blaming everybody else when i was a kid and then b it's also like but yet i've grown as a person and i'm not horrible or irredeemable because like this guy that i've had a bunch of bad blood with 20 years ago well we're, we're now we're we're like good friends again like cool like that and be all like the reasons that we were friends in the first place are still there Mm -hmm. And all the things that we're mad about each other, they're mad at each other. Are back, are, they're back I mean, in the past. They don't even fucking they're matter. Not, it, they're mostly like, bullshit too. All right. the things that, a lot of the stuff we were mad about each other was just like pedantic little kid mm -hmm. shit. I mean, musicians tend to emotionally mature at a slower rate anyways. Right. Because they're playing music. They're still playing with toys. <laughs> <And like, laughs> this is a different kind of toy. I mean, you can play with this kind of toy or you can also play with this kind of toy. They're still yeah. toys. Right. So yeah, it took us a while. I mean, there's probably, you know, some of the shit probably should have just been addressed, could have been addressed with a nice conversation and shit like that. And that's the kind of stuff, you know, you get more mature. I mean, I, me and Matt got along great as kids, but I think we get along better now. Yes. Mm -hmm. Maturity and shedding ego. I mean, not shedding it completely. Obviously we're never going to. Yeah, I'm, I'm still pretty rad. I still have some ego. Fuck yeah, you're <laughs> rad, dude. You are rad. It's probably, it's probably I'm, like I'm having a great have, time know. with you right now. If a few years of uh, fucked up relationships with women, you're like, oh, what the fuck? I need to learn from this. And like, maybe I can use this in my personal life, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's probably true. Where you're like, oh, that, that what what really weighs and matters? And you're like, yeah, this dumb relationship was stupid. But it's like, well, we have this friendship. Friendships are important. Yeah, I, mean, I had a lot of busted relationships that I'm still friends with those people because totally. I'm like, oh, well, this is just not the way it was working this way. But actually, we're good friends and we can get over this dumb emotional hurdle and hang out and be cool this is that one chick you broke over like broke up over like a frying pan you know it's like yeah it's like, it's like super some small some bullshit like, like that. yeah i mean yeah, she exactly. did hit me in the head with that frying pan. <laughs> unfair but yeah i'm i'm good friends with a lady that threw a beer bottle at my head once oh okay yeah so we get past it it's all, all forgiven it's yeah, all yeah. good <laughs> it's uh, called maturity i guess we're growing up right i know <laughs> way too quick Ross, I mean, life's too short to hold on to this shit, you know? Yeah, totally. Sure. I just wanted to say I checked out the Dr. Sewage website and I'm a big fan as of three days ago or whenever I checked oh, cool. it out. Uh, you put a lot of cool stuff up there about your art, your music and uh, other other projects. Can you give a little description of that website well, I mean, for us? Yeah, it's my personal website. So it's got 
art and stuff on it, but I guess it kind of started back in the MySpace days where I was just where they they introduced blogging on there. So I was just writing dumb shit and then, you know, talking about the bands and stuff. And you're like, oh, you should write. This is really cool. But a lot of it was just dumb shit about like cartoons I was watching and garbage. And so I kind of put it away for a while. But then I realized like all the stuff when I was writing about in the studio was cool. And then I kind of partially I got into technical stuff because of the gigantic financial crunch of 2007 and eight, where I couldn't afford to pay someone to fix my shit anymore. So I had to learn how to do it myself. And I realized I was acquiring a lot of knowledge from different people in different little spaces. And I was like, well, that would be a good way, instead of just writing about dumb cartoons or whatever, maybe I could actually spread some help and knowledge and positivity on the internet. And I know I play the character of a cynic a lot of times, but I actually do believe in the goodness of humanity and the free flow of information and helping people and, well, you know, like the socialistic aspects of that. So I started blogging pretty intensively about like everything I was fixing or modifying and because there were other resources out there and they just seemed disparate to me. And I was like, well, there's a lot of people I work with, musicians I've in bands with that still don't understand how to match ohms on a pair of cabinets to an amplifier. <laughs> yeah. And I, like, skills. I, I don't, I have no idea how to do that. All right, just, <laughs> just pick up your mic and shut up. <laughs> Two on the road, half the load. See, I come up with mnemonics for this shit. To help my see when you're not a good bass player, you have a lot of extra room in your brain for all this other shit that guitar players don't have because they're filled with solos and melodies. So I can actually like you know, Baz Baz hits me up on the road. Like I'm like, all right, well I always bring my toolkit with me. He's like, oh, there's something wrong with this input. We fix the fucking input on the road, shit like that. And so yeah, the other the website you can go check out my art, and that's convenient. And it's also yeah, I'm applying for some graphics design job. I got a portfolio on there, but I, I hope that I can help contribute. I, I guess I have, some people have told me, which is nice to always hear, um, that help with the technical know-how, like what it's like in a studio for the first time, like what mics kind of work cool, like, or, you know, oh, my amp's broken. Actually, it's really simple. You could totally do this yourself and fix it. It's not a piece of garbage, or maybe you can try out this pedal. And so, just trying to kind of spread that stuff. I and mean, we're in the underground. We we don't have all the money to throw at everything all the time to fix every problem. And it can be, you know, very expensive to try to find your sound. So it's nice to have a some kind of guide on the way. Not what I have to say is the end all be all, but this is another resource of information. If you ever want to check it out, I guess I'll plug it. DrSewage.com with a K. Um, I've got tags on the there. For camps. It's just stuff I've com. done. It's not <laughs> I was like dot com with a K. <laughs> oh no. Yeah, sorry. Doctor with a K sewage dot That would be fucking okay. sick if I know if you could pull K, that off. <laughs> I'm not uh, there's not a lot of internet savvy stuff up on there. I don't know how to do that. But yeah, you can go there's amps. You can look up on there how I fix them and photo guides. And there hasn't been a lot to work on in the last year, so there hasn't been a lot of updating, but it's a resource. If you're a young musician and you want to try to figure your way in the world, it's a lot of I it mean, is don't do what I did. It's not even necessarily about being young. It's just about sort of areas of knowledge that may not be obvious. And I think like Ross is kind of underselling himself, but I think that there's, there's so many attributes you can bring to, to the table besides being like, I can play my instrument. It's like, great. 
you can play your instrument. And Ross is like, well, I can play my instrument and I'm a graphic designer and I can like fix pedals and I can fix amps. And he's out there like sharing that sort of knowledge, which is, you know, really fucking useful because if you have, if you had four me's who are like, well, I can play riffs, so like, great. My amp broke. Your riff isn't going to fix my fucking amp, bro. <laughs> like your riff is not going to make the layout for this cassette version of this demo that I only have this like kinko. Only because they're not sick enough it. yet, dude. I mean, I guess, well, I guess they're going to get sicker riffs that will fix amps. But you know, I mean, there's there's so many sort of skills that are important in being a band, being in a band that have really you know they're adjacent to musicality. You know, Absolutely. The, the technical aspects of recording, of fixing gear and, and everything else. I mean, there's like layers and layers and layers of, of um, useful skills. And so Ross has a lot of those things that I have no idea about. So Ross, you had mentioned that you're still at work right now. What do you, what do, you do, if you don't mind me asking? Um, yeah, I'm in the office. I'm hoping they don't shut the building on me. Um, I'm a screen printer, I, but I do, Mike does t-shirts. I do flat stock, which is uh, posters and such. I don't know if this will come off the wall. No, not that one. Ross has printed all of our, like, in fact, I'll grab one of our posters. Uh, Go I'll for it, dude. Yeah, I want to check it out. Okay. Yeah, super talented guy, man. Does a Here lot of color separations for t-shirts. Oh, oh, yeah. that's, that's sick, bro. So yeah, posters sick. like this. Um, what is that like for? That. What was that one for right there? I don't know. Some band I never heard of. <laughs> whoa. whoa. <laughs> I think they're probably a hippie. Coming we in a lot of hippie jam band shit because we're in the Bay Area. Yeah. But I mean, we've done, uh, today I printed a Melvin's poster for one of their online shows. Oh, damn. And some other art print. Uh, work is obviously slacked because we were largely a gig poster company, but now we're, um, there's no gigs except for a few internet ones so including like the uh exhume one i did the poster that's that right oh. including grind glorified of the grind guignol which you can download or stream for just ten dollars <laughs> via exhume.bigcartel.com or you can get the bundle pack featuring this hand screen printed poster by Aaron ross sewage you can see it right here beautiful artwork drawn by yours truly all diy in-house Dude, Matt showing off his other skills. He's not just a guitar player; he's also a snake oil salesman. I'm like, I'm the the Stan Lee of death metal. Like, you know, let me let me tell you about this. It's great. It's the most wonderful, fantastic thing you've ever seen. You're gonna love it. I just, I'm just imagining the exhumed universe. Like, what that would be like: the Stan Lee universe, the exhumed universe. I mean, Stan Lee. You know, I guess it would be the Matt Harvey universe. Probably, but but stuff in there. You know, we, we had one we had a universe and then it implode when we were kids we were drawing comics together yes and there was a no whole shit. universe with Fuck hammerman yeah. and major steel, major steel and, and man and captain Come spaceship on. and bring up captain spaceship oh that was tim that was tim yeah he was he, he was hanging out yeah, forgot, any, forgot, do you guys preserve this correct <laughs> i have it all Okay, good. I was gonna say Ross has some. I know Cole has some. I don't have that much anymore. But why don't you guys get shed the rest of that ego we've been talking about and just fucking print that bitch up and sell it just like <laughs> Matt was, dude? I've been telling Matt for years to draw more and do more art and to do some comic shit. And I would gladly do it with him. I've done one comic that, that you can cool get at my. I've I've done and kickstarted and published my own comic based on the band Ghoul, 
and nice. you can pick it up at drsewage.com. There you go. See? With a K, not on the com, but on the doctor. Yes. What's shipping and handling? What's shipping and handling? It's nineteen ninety nine uh, plus the, what? The whole package is ten bucks. Oh. Five dollar comic, five dollar shipping and handling. Dude. I'm getting one. Foil, foil embossed logo on the cover. Shut the fuck up, dude. You're I'm definitely ordering <laughs> to buy right now. 28 pages inside, a full story. Those Art are the types bike. of things oh, that, that those are the types I, I, of things I, 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 I dick hard in at 36, dude. It's like <laughs> handmade art artistry. No matter how it is, if it's fucking playing cards, dude. I fucking love playing cards. If you look into playing cards, there's some dope fucking artists out there that are really fucking going sick on playing cards right now. Hmm. All right. That's good. So I've got some tarot, some tarot sets, which I think is utter bullshit, but the art can be beautiful. That's what, that's all I really care about those decks is yeah. the art. Stuff I like that. I mean, and that's something we've talked about with Exhumed is, I mean, Ghoul was able to do a comic book. We've tried to think about like other things for Exhumed. I mean, there's just, as long as, as long as it's, well, it's got to sell. But it's also yeah. got to be fun. It's got to be fun true, to do. That's a true Stanley method right there. Is it selling? All right, then it's great. <laughs> yeah. And if it's mine, I got to be in it. So, <clears throat> well, you know, you just got to put your name first. That's one of the. That's the most important. Doesn't he do like a, a, a cameo and everything? The, well, I mean, he did before he died. But yes, I mean, the, well, yeah, the, obviously. The, the thing about Stanley is that everything that they did there he did with other people he just was really good at putting his name first and putting his name bigger and stanley's with like one of my heroes so it's not i don't mean to be disrespectful towards him but without the other without the artist he's just the guy that sort of came in he would talk to the artist like we're gonna do this and then the artist would just hand him the comic book and he would just fill in the word balloons like okay great and so spider-man says this and mary jane says this and Aunt may says this and dr Arthur says this and good and you know he was he had his own style, but he was also very good at just putting his name first. And that's, uh, you know, one of the first rules of success in business is putting your name first. Hell yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, what's, that's, the, what's the goriest comic book you guys came across? Whew. I mean, there's like Faust was pretty gory. Faust is probably the one of the gnarliest, I think, in terms of well-illustrated gore. I think that's a good one. Dead um, World would be the second yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, those are good. But I mean, my my favorite ones are the old like shock suspense stories, the EC stuff. That stuff's just a, a fun to read. It's not, it's, it's, it's not super gross, but it's like the stories are compelling and there's always the, the good twist of fate. I mean, that's right. whenever I write lyrics and stuff like that, I, I try to approach it more from that direction, like telling a story as opposed to like, ah, uh, there's one brutal thing happened. It's like, it's kind of boring to me. I like, that's like I was really glad to rejoin it with Exum when we did like a whole concept record and Matt did an excellent job storytelling Aww. on that one. <laughs> and that was I, a lot I, of fun to like deal with, you know, yeah, it was like a whole con like the whole thing from beginning to end. And that's a little rough to do a whole record like that every time, but it's nice to be able to tell stories and do narratives. And I think both Matt and I came up reading comics and and books and literature and stuff like that too. But you know, comics are more fun to talk about. <laughs> So I'll go to a little side note right here. You guys, so you guys are into the Marvel shit. So I, my, my buddy, one of my best friends, he has all the like Marvel masterpiece, all the old Marvel cards. Remember back in the day, like in the early nineties and stuff, those mm -hmm. Marvel cards, he's all, he sold it to me. Everyone in perfect condition for t 30 bucks. I, I, I why don't think those cards are worth anything. Man. They're not I worth think. anything. Like why? I mean, I remember like as a kid, they were worth everything. Like that was like, 
That was like the coolest set you could, you know, you were going to school and trading cards all the time. But why are they worth dog diaries? <laughs> because they because well, because that was a the 90s was an entire speculation market. Okay. Right? And people were buying new stuff and giving it value that it didn't actually have. But Pokemon's Pokemon, Pokemon's <laughs> got like like there's there's cards that are like two million or one point five million dollars for one. That's card. because them and like Magic the Gathering too were smart and the way their cards work is there's games and they keep the value okay. up because there's a value to the card beyond just like look at this eric liefeld version of spider-man there's no value there's no real value to that then, unless there's people collecting it with pokemon pokemon's a game that's continued and uh, you know yeah. like there was the one tour i went on in 2016 with carcass and where we got out of our first show and everyone was walking around downtown staring at their mm -hmm. fucking phones i couldn't figure crazy. it out uh, pokemon, pokemon go, go yeah. game had just been released yeah yeah so i mean that's something that's kept very active in that <clears throat> a collectible thing yeah. you gotta have them all you can i mean if you want something that's new that would be more akin to that right going on right now is like the marvel legends action figures are really big okay. right now and because, because they're they released in limited quantities certain characters become super valuable and they're like these random ones so that kind of collector's market still exists but yeah those cards are dog shit and the art on a lot of them suck it's will... it's 30 years though you think maybe in like 60 years it'll be worth like no, 20 no, cents no. no because well the thing I is got, that... i got duped like, to, to, sort of, to sort of elaborate on, on what Ross was saying, I worked in a comic store in the early 90s when those were okay. sellers. Yeah, and yeah. the thing is that comic books that have become valuable, um, they've become valuable be, not because they were printed in limited quantities. I mean, like, you know, Action Comics number one or Captain America number one from the 40s were printed in like 500,000 quantities like mm -hmm. quantities would be unthinkable to print a comic book in even in the 90s let alone today when like 70,000 is a massive print run um but they were collectible because nobody held on to them and there was a segment of the comic book market that was driven by value investing um and there was still enough comics that became very valuable in the 90s that hadn't been valuable previously like First appearance of Punisher, first appearance of Wolverine, so on and so forth. And what Marvel and DC, to a lesser extent, but Marvel was exceedingly guilty of, was trying to manufacture that sort of demand through continuous variant covers, holographic covers, trading cards, and so on and so forth, which was just gimmickry, because ultimately, a character standing the, the test of time and becoming a part of pop culture, coupled with the inherent valuelessness of that character's first appearance that's what creates value is okay. all the moms from 1965 when their kids went to high school threw away amazing fantasy 15 or fantastic four number one because their kids are like you're fucking you're in college you don't need this shit this is garbage this is a newspaper you throw in the fire nobody yeah. cares about dr doom or whatever it's fucking crap and of course, 40, 50, 60 years later, these characters are still kicking around. So that has become valuable. But in the 90s, they tried to artificially create that. And there was a segment of the market that actively bought into it. People that were buying like Death of Superman, Spider-Man number one, X-Men number one, blah, blah, yeah. blah, and trading cards and so forth. But they weren't really offering substantive long-term value. They were offering the illusion of collectability. Okay. Um, and, and, and that's really... Killed, it helped kill the industry it like That's it really destroyed I stopped a lot reading of, comics because of it no, yeah sure. and a lot of that and i mean luckily there's nothing in music like that 
Um, but anyway, their vinyl's coming out on like three variant colors. And that well, is a they, totally they sustainable couple, model. If they were to couple the comic with a sick riff, I mean, there's the value. <laughs> Spider-Man number one, and you get a sick riff? Like, oh, fair enough. I mean, but th that's the thing when, you know, it's just it's just marketing in general. That's how marketing works. You find something that people are excited about. You saturate the market with yeah var with variations of that, and people will buy something thinking that they're getting something collectible, and really it doesn't. Like in first grade, those were just like the most important things sure. in my life were those cards. So but you were like, six. Like yeah, dude, six yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I had the market. I had the market. You know, on lock. I understood what was going on. Like you were, I mean, grade, uh, you were grading cards. You know, I had, po I had pogs. Most of them were nine. Sometimes Some the invisible hand of the market looks more like a fist. That's just. Right. <laughs> yeah. I'm punching you in the fucking head. Because even like baseball cards. Like I don't think baseball cards are really worth anything anymore. Well, there, there's this new uh, Dan, uh, my friend Dan Dan Kenny, obviously he uh, he collects those these new kind of football he's cards. Just he's just your friend, dude. Yeah, he's just my friend. But uh, yeah, he stands in. Uh, I'm just kidding. Joel but he's, owns he's, Dan. <laughs> yeah, no, he stands like he stands in line at Target every Thursday for these cards, and he's like <laughs> trying to get me on it. And like people, he's all he's like people that have the inside scoop, like get the cards first, and he's What's like posting about it all. Mad. I have no idea what you're talking about. No, he's trying to get me. It's like an investment. It's like he's trying to get me to invest. It's like a people Bitcoin do the same thing card. with the figures that Ross was talking about too. Like there's there's a huge issue of fans not being able to get the figures that they want because it's all being purchased by resellers. Mm. Um, I mean that, that, that's that, that's. It's, it's a short term, it's like a strip mining strategy where you can probably make a lot of money in the short term, but 30 years later, people will forget like, oh my God, I really needed this thing 30 years ago. And yeah. you turn around, you're like, I did not actually need that. What G.I. Joe, is, there's like, like, they're releasing new G.I. Joes finally, and I have zero interest because they're impossible to find. Right. Except for at four times the cost on eBay. Yeah. Because just, a bunch of 45 year olds are buying them and then selling them to other 45 year olds. Yeah. And it's just, and the toy company doesn't. I mean, the company doesn't care. They're, they'll do it until the like the next thing comes along, and then they'll just make money on something else. There's, right. there's not a lot of love there. It's a, you it's think those Pokemon, those, money. those Pokemon's are going to lose like the insane value that they have now, like millions of dollars for one card. Do you think they'll lose value? Um, yeah, dude, throw them in yes. the fire, dude. I don't. Not all of them. I mean, because it, again, it's it's all about like how many people like it, and um, Pokemon is what they're they're not owned by Nintendo. I don't remember who they're owned by, but they've done line? a good job of, of keeping that value up. And same with like Wizards of the Coast with Magic the Gathering. They've got this whole corporate thing in, in, in play where they every every couple seasons they change the rules and certain cards are out and in. And then older people are playing this old set and they really want these cards. So they the the they've the corporations have become better at making the collectability last a bit longer since that comic glut of the 90s um so i think some of those will hold value i mean pokemon's just like a huge name now you want to talk about something that losing value those marvel cards you think those lost value you think those lost value i had marvel stock <laughs> i had marvel stock my parents bought me when i was 16 and i used to get these prospectuses from the company with like pictures of the hulk like showing you the financial futures of marvel <laughs> <laughs> and then they went bankrupt it's like now you owe them money what? We went bankrupt multiple times. What year was they, they that? They went bankrupt in the 80s, and they also went bankrupt in the 90s. It was in the late 90s when they had to sell off all their characters.
to other so movie what do you guys, companies. What do you guys think about what do you guys think about Disney owning that shit now? Oh yeah, think about my stock would be worth if I bought yeah, it that's right what I was gonna say, after dude. that bankruptcy. Oh. Yeah, I mean the, the thing about Fuck your cards is that <laughs> I, I think the thing with Disney, like the the bonus, the the good side for me as like a lifelong fan, like when I was you know five years old, my entire world was Spider Man, like just waiting to see Spider-Man cartoons. That's really all I cared about. Um, the good thing is Disney is so financially impervious that the characters will be around forever and that the recent round of interest in the characters has expanded so far beyond just Spider-Man and Wolverine. Hmm. I got a so, nine-year-old dude, so I know, dude. dude they, they expanded that shit like a like, motherfucker. To me, like the thing that I miss the most about not having kids is like going to Target with my wife to like buy a blanket or candles. And I'm like, holy shit, look at that sick Iron Man costume. Like if I had a son, I could like buy that for him and I could be like, okay, so there was this time that the Mandarin teleported Iron Man to China <laughs> to fight Ultimo who came out of a volcano and somebody would be interested in what I was saying instead of my wife being like, would you shut the fuck up? Please? You're a grown man in Target. You're embarrassing me. That's, um, why me. that's why me and Matt go see the Avengers movies together. On, the, on tour, that's what we do. But so... I think with Disney that there's there's a certain imperviousness, but there's also going to be. I, I'm skeptical about how willing the, the corporation is going to be taking chances with some of the properties because some of them are quite bizarre, and we're already seeing that the results of like a Doctor Strange movie are far less bizarre than a Doctor Strange comic. Yeah. And, and of course, there's just the fear of mass consolidation. You know, it's like, do you want every band to be on Nuclear Blast? Like, just like, do we want Disney to own know, right? Fox and Marvel and Star Wars and blah, blah, blah? Like, is that really a good thing for the creative state? It feels kind of weird. Properties? It's, it's a know. terrible thing. It's an awful thing, but I'm enjoying what they're putting out now. They, uh, there's that whole thing about, something happens now so your childhood is ruined fuck that that's not how time works that right? is not at all how time time works. goes forward so mm -hmm. if they bungle it all and i'll just walk away being like cool i got to see all those fucking superheroes on screen at one point and that was phenomenal and amazing right. and oh now it's, it's just like star wars it's like i i went through that shit where i'm like oh i don't like this stuff so i don't even know if i like old star i went and watched old star wars i'm like this movie is amazing and i still yeah. love it and it's still gets me excited and if i don't like the new stuff that's fine it's for a different generation that's cool with the but new stuff like the, the spider in spider-man into the spider-verse i actually really enjoyed watching that that was a great that movie. movie that was I, a good I, I like that twist where there's oh, spider-mans oh. from several different dimensions yeah, they, and they shit. do some cool shit with it and disney and fox will do some cool shit until they don't just and real then quick, i'll I'm still hate them like most corporations here. let's see it matt let's and, see like, it it's bad but i mean that's you know Look at that. Oh, yeah, Matt's superhero collection. Is that clear? Oh, uh, yeah. It's clear enough. We can see a bunch of, yeah. Yeah, we but can. Yeah, those are mostly toys from when I was, so half of them are from when I was a kid, and then half of them I purchased later, but yeah. Dude, I'm so. totally going through the same shit, dude. I just told my wife, like, fuck, dude, I'm getting into everything that I was into as a kid again. I'm going through it again. I'm getting back into fucking playing cards and fucking dice and and all this kind of crazy shit and it's just like it's we go through cycles as humans you know you just well i, mean, I think there's cycles there's also a, a worldwide pandemic 
the fuck else are you supposed to do? I mean, it's, it's to me, honestly, like I could go back and talk to myself as a 13 year old and 13 year old me would be like really annoying. However, I would be like, you're in the metal. Like I'm in the metal. You're in the comics. I'm in the comics. Sick. You like tabletop role playing games. I like tabletop role playing games. Like, dude. Yeah, dude. Yeah. I mean, like for me, I've never, uh, maybe I've experienced a remarkable lack of personal growth, but my, (laughs) my interests have stayed relatively consistent since about 1987. Um, And I'm very fortunate to live in a time where I can go to the movie theater and like fucking see like Captain Marvel punch Thanos, which is like, if somebody would have told me that when I was like 13, like there's gonna be a whole movie about Carol Danvers and there's gonna be another one where she punches Thanos in the face. I would be like, oh my, the future's awesome. And I'd be like, and if I could tell myself when I was 15, I could be like, you could listen to any Morbid Angel demo you want by typing. (laughs) I would have been like, wait, by typing? Like typing on what? Like, oh my God, the future is the best. So Do I type right it? Do I send it in the mail? <laughs> I would have had no idea what that meant. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, so I'm, 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 you know, the future's not so bad. It's, it's yeah, got totally serious downsides, but uh, you know. I'm in the same boat. Do you like there? There is a lot of people who are just like, all that like we just mentioned earlier like you're you're ruining my childhood by redoing no, that's all shit. Bullshit. I, I hate that statement dude because it's like i actually enjoy a lot of these reworkings and and you if you as, don't who cares aren't you too old to like get mad about spider-man on the internet like you're fucking you're in your 30s if you're on the internet like bitching about spider-man like go get laid and fucking get a beer like, well around. i mean okay be fair you can bitch about it and it's fun to bitch about it. And it can be fun to talk with your friends about the with shit you don't like. Friends. So I'm not going to. Yes. But if you feel that a fucking billion dollar multinational corporation owes you anything, they don't owe you shit. No. They're looking at dollar signs all the time. If you want to go look at real art, you go start s- supporting smaller, like independent comic books. You start and, like and, it, there's like lots of like little like novelty toy makers and stuff that make stuff at a very Dude, small scale just because like, just because you said that i literally got this deck today it's a uh, uh ralph steadman oh yeah awesome. all of his artwork on that that fucking deck it's only like fucking i mean actually it's expensive 20 dollars a deck but dude every card has a different ralph steadman fucking piece on it he all That's it's an all art. collaborative deal like that type of shit Gets my dick hard. I probably I mean, already said that, that too many times this podcast. And, and there right. is, it's as much hard. as there's me, media consolidation right now, there's also more avenues to go forward for smaller independent work creators on like Indiegogo and Kickstarter, which are like, they ha- kind of have their own issues, but it's amazing that that shit can exist. And like, I just got a card game called Knife Tank and it's about tanks that have knives on them. Completely like, <laughs> sounds really good. Yeah, and like you throw the cards at each other. There's no guns. It's all tanks with knives. Like, and that shit got made. And there's it's so much easier for that stuff to get made and find its little niche market. And I forget who wrote the thing, but the theory of like a thousand fans that you can keep something sustainable as long as you just have a thousand fans. If only it was somehow applicable to being in a band. Yeah. 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 Or a podcast. I mean, like it really is like the the punk rock. Uh, ethos because of the internet and because of you know the atomization of everything that's being it's applied to everything and 
you know, you can be into underground music or underground games or underground comics or all of the above or whatever. And yeah, for people to get mad about something that Disney is doing, I mean, that's pointless. Like you're, you're mad about something, you think you've owned something that was never yours. Whereas if you're part of a, a independent community supporting an independent property, whether it's a band or whether it's a card thing or whatever, I mean, that's where the real involvement is. The stuff that you were involved with was a kid, as a kid was always owned by a big corporation. It was just the illusion because you were six. So mm -hmm. just- It also, it's, it strikes me as a, it's a very narrow view. Like with somebody who's like, oh, I can't believe they had this one character do this thing in the last Star Wars or whatever. And I'm so fucking upset. It's like, go read another book. Right. Go Not check only out a that, movie. you got to look at it like this. The corporation bought a universe. We just said the universe, right? So they bought a universe just to have a cushion of stories. They, they don't it's have to start from scratch anymore. They have a whole universe to make endless amounts of movies based on the comic books that have and already that's been written. Like the media consolidation is bad overall. Like I'm enjoying what the fruits of it right now, but it's like those, I'm so fucking sick of those fucking characters and copyright extensions that keep going and going and nothing ever becomes public domain anymore yeah and nothing ever becomes public domain and it's like I, you know there's a little bit of oversaturation like love star wars all you want but it's like on every magazine cover or whatever for like whenever a movie's coming out and because they own the magazine and then they get the <laughs> they you know they can they can push especially the bad part with the media consolidation of something like disney is how they can crush independent movie theaters that actually were an avenue and a venue for smaller art house movies to go up well we're not going to give you star wars unless you run all these other disney movies well then we won't have room for this like the next clerks or something like that and so that gets crushed so it it really as much as it's fun to enjoy marvel and disney and shit like and i do it's important to keep looking out for independent creators and really take if you're into underground metal take that ethos beyond just like hey i got this vinyl from 20 bucks spinner tank crimes it's like look at that as your broad view of culture you really should be looking for the underground in everything and, and it's like just, just in life even in bringing it from their heart and not just recycling a feeling that you had as a kid to try to keep you buying shit well, it goes it's like, back it's to almost fun. like you can do that. You can buy that stuff, but then don't forget to go look for something new, the next yeah. cool thing yeah. that will mean something to you now, as opposed to something that just meant something to you as a kid. Right. Yeah, it goes back to like what, what Matt was saying earlier about like the music, and, and and you know, there's not really much more you can do in that in that uh that genre. It's like I forgot what I was gonna say. I'm drunk. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it was very good. Whatever I said. When it, when it comes to music, I, you can get real stuck in shit. And it's like. You know, I know people from high school that like can only listen to Metallica and they haven't heard anything since. And they're like, but oh, Metallica I, sucks and I'm mad about it. It's like, well, there's like 40 other bands that probably yeah. were playing music you would have liked, but you're only buying fucking Metallica shit. I mean, yeah. you, you can get another gigantic corporation that's like got their problems with Spotify, but I love the Spotify Discover. I'm like, play me shit I've never heard before. Totally. And like, yeah, it's based on an algorithm on my taste. So a lot of it appeals to me, but I'm like, this is rad. I've never heard this band or this band. And I should have heard this band and this band. And the avenues to find those things is so much bigger and broader now than it ever has been in human history. Right. The ability to be able to find something is Access, it's so much easier now 
Don't and, get hung up on fucking Raylo. Who gives a shit about Raylo? And we <laughs> also don't, don't get hung money. up on your favorite band from high school not releasing music that you like anymore. Fucking listen to any other gajillion fucking bands, you know? I mm. mean, or start your own band. That's what I did in high school when I was like, my favorite bands aren't releasing albums. I like, I started my own band. Yeah. I was like, cool. This is what I wish they were doing. I'm going to do that. And, yeah. you know, don't just sit around waiting for somebody else to do it. And, it's it's a great it's a really unique time because of the internet obviously you know i don't want to be one of these old people like when i was a kid i had to ride my bike to the store and maybe they had my favorite tape and maybe they didn't and like shut the fuck up like and that just sounds pathetic it's like now we're in an era of unprecedented choice so just stop being fucking boring and don't be a basic bitch listening to the same fucking 10 bands, unless they're my bands, in which case always <laughs> listen to those and buy all the merch. But I was say, yeah, if, in if, life, if, so what we're saying is if you don't like the next exhumed, it's your fault. <laughs> like we don't know you for shit. You. But I mean, but the other thing is like, if you don't like the next exhumed, there's like, go listen to a million other bands, you know, don't, yeah, yeah. Just, you know, if you don't like whatever, you know, band on nuclear blast, there's, I guarantee you, there's 20 other bands that will scratch that same yeah, itch. They're totally. independent, and you can really, you know, not buying an, a, a, a testament record. Eric Peterson's still going to make his mortgage payment. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. buying some band's record from Bandcamp could make a freaking big difference, you know? And totally. Nothing against testament. I love testament. But if, if you don't like the next exhume, go check out Cartilage. <laughs> that, uh, I'm, that, I'm actually more of a Dragon Lord fan. Okay. Well, no, I mean, no accounting for taste, man. Whatever gets you up in the I'm joking. I'm joking, dude. I hope so. But yeah, I worked. I worked at Guitar Center in. Uh, yeah, totally fucking around. I worked at Guitar Center in Sacramento, and, and that guy would come in all the time and like be the judge at all the guitar competitions and like the Tesla guys and stuff like that. And oh, nice. Time, uh, yeah, the Mick Mars one time walked in, and one of my butt rock like he's in charge of the old guitars, so he's like the butt rock old guy. It's like all burnt out. He's so like, hey, I want to party with. <laughs> totally, totally, totally. He's got his fourth DUI. He's got like nine breathalyzers on his car. Like, oh, equal bracelets. Like all the, <laughs> all the shit. He's got all a one to nine in a row. <laughs> He's got one that goes in the butt, one in the mouth. Right. You know, he was, uh, he walked in there, and uh, Mick Mars came with a, with a. I don't know. This is a totally random whatever. But he came in with a, a bodyguard or something. He's all hunched over, and the butt rock guy used to party with him back in the day. And he's all, hey, blah blah blah, like by his real name. And they're all you don't fucking call him that blah blah and they just like got all they like all flipped out on the whole staff and then walked out and i was like this is i need a new job this is dumb i'm just tired of this <laughs> shit. <laughs> i mean that eric peterson was story, nice to me though. yeah he like you know he was actually the the, the craziest story was um this kind of like hippie girl walks in she's like i want a guitar that speaks to me and i'm like oh my god well, uh, she's like, I want a yellow guitar. And I was like, here's a yellow. It was like a $7,000 guitar. I'm like, check this 63 straight out. And uh, she's all, okay, I'll take it. And uh, I was like, what the fuck? Like, because I'm on commission at the time. I'm like, fuck yeah, you'll take it. <laughs> and uh, and then people like, uh, they walked up to me. They're like, you know who you're talking to, right? I'm like, no, it's like some idiot that was rich or something. And uh, and it was like, that's the guitar player for Prince. And I was like, oh, shit. Like, like yeah, so it's random things wow. in the Sacramento Guitar Center. What's the commission and, uh, on a seventy? Uh, what would you say? Seventy seven hundred and no, no seven thousand. Actually, you know, I worked there right before uh, Dave from Cal Decapitation worked there for a long time. But yeah, that's okay. Yeah, that was a uh, it's a random the Sacramento Guitar Center. You see so many like mm -hmm. David Allen Code walk in and be like, like, buy I want a guitar that's racist. <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, I love David Allen Cook, but I'm just yeah. He's all I got this black guitar. He's like, no, 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 I don't want that one. Um, (laughs) The crazy thing is the drummer, the drummer for David Allen Cook lives like 30 miles from where I live. (laughs) Wow, we're we're friends on Facebook. (laughs) Facebook. David Allen Cook had a lot of great songs. Line yeah, yeah. me up some rails, boys. Don't put me in jail, boys. If I make a little noise, just leave me alone. Classics. Anyway, but yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm sure Sacramento is very interesting, though, because like so many people from the Bay sort of filter out totally. there. As they're like, well, now I'm older. Cost of living, too. Like there people, is people are of bailing. A- yeah, yeah. Yeah, somewhat of a mass exodus happening actually right now. You know what? In in Sacramento, that train museum is fucking legit. Yeah. <laughs> I, no, they I'm, got one of the I'm, they got one I'm of the taking... golden spikes there. They have entire locomotives and di- I I Dude. I can't oversell the the Sacramento train museum enough if you ever get a chance to check yeah, it out. You're, train, you're tickling my taint, dude. <laughs> you're tickling my train taint. <laughs> my trains. My trains. Lay down your tracks right into my train. <laughs> and that's all I know about Sacramento. Choo-choo. Uh, anyways, could someone else take the floor? Uh, I, don't even, I mean, I have, honestly, guys, I have no idea when this turned into a non-Exum podcast, <laughs> but I've been having a great time. If you guys want to keep going with this, I'm fucking down with this. If we want to steer it back to Exum, that's fine, too. It, it we're wherever, I, or you guys can tell me to shut the fuck up and we end this. It's, it, I mean, tell I, me anything. I'm, I'm in, I, I, I sort of, I, I, at this point, I'm, I'm thinking maybe, you know, let's sort of corral it back and then, and then wrap it up because that's yeah, another yeah, shit yeah, I gotta do before I leave tonight. But, yeah, uh, yeah. no, that's, I have been enjoying dude. the whole thing wholeheartedly. Who wants the, to listen to who wants to listen to just exhume shit for two and a half hours? I think we're good. At, <laughs> fuck it up. <laughs> but yeah, that's right. Yeah, I'm a little afraid of getting locked in my building, which has happened All before, right. and I set okay. off the alarm. Yeah, All right, let's corral. So, I, like the, I like the corral idea. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we bring it home with uh, future plans uh aside from when you can actually make do these plans but <laughs> you guys got plans you got uh yeah just take us take us from where you're at right now what you what you feel like you need to do as a project after you can actually do everything you want to do uh i guess i'll go yeah <laughs> you want to talk about the recording yeah, we're, we're getting. Yeah, no, that, like you yeah, guys have plans right now, yes, even though they've been like we always have on hold. Everything's been stagnant <clears throat> for a while, but there we, was some plans. Let's hear about them. We're getting to ready to record album number eight. That's a big number. Um, so we, Mike, will be flying out next month uh, from Ohio back to the Central Coast. Um, we're going to start rehearsing. We're in the process of demoing songs right now. Um, and uh, because our first show was played 30 years ago in 1991, um, not only does that mean that I'm very old, but um, sort of in honor of that, we're getting some previous members involved with the writing process on this album. Uh, Mike Beams, who played with us on the first three albums, has written a song, um, Leon Del Marte, to play with us multiple times here and there. Um, he's written a song, Bud Burke, our old guitar player and old bass player, 
Um, he's supposed Leo, to Leon pointed out it's the first song he's ever written for Exhume, right? <laughs> well, he wrote one the, in '97, but then we didn't end up using it because he got yeah. And then he out. joined the band again, and and still never finished a song. But now I, do, I tried to get him to to write one when he rejoined, but he was just lazy. Leon's um, on. Uh, he's the one on the Keith Merrow podcast or the videos, yes, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. He's fucking awesome. Yeah, yeah hell yeah. And then uh, our our old bass player Matt Widener. Um, who went on to play in Cretan and the kind of medical examiners, he's submitted a song as well. Um, Ross has written a song, Sebastian, our, our other guitar players working on stuff. So, um, you know, we've sort of taken advantage of the fact that everything has to be done remotely to kind of bring in more of like an extended family thing um, that involves people from throughout the band's history. And also just because it's our eighth album and, you know, the struggle at that point becomes to like find a way to to do something different without just being like hey look we made a you know techno folk hard polka album like that's really (laughs) get people's interest you know we don't want to we don't want to change what the band's about but we do want to do something that's you know hopefully somewhat fresh and, and interesting each time not just for the audience but also for ourselves because i think everyone in the band has, has certainly heard enough of my riffs <laughs> although there will be many of those on the album as well but uh you know it's just you know this is kind of something that you can do that is kind of fun and celebrates the band's history uh in order to do something new and different you know? that sounds awesome it's a great idea yeah cool I, i'm excited about it and it's it's fun you know learning other people's songs and stuff um you know and obviously everybody that wrote a song used to be in the band, but they know that they're writing for the band. So it's kind of interesting to see someone that hasn't played with us in a long time. Like what is their take on our style? Because they know it intimately, but at the same time, they've been apart from it. So it's kind of cool to get a fresh perspective. You know? totally. so, and of course we've got tour plans, but those are uh, fungible to say the least. Right. Uh, just uh, to see how the wor- world pans out, see when they get vaccines to enough people. But right. those plans are in the works, at least. And there's dates set aside by everybody. And we'll just have to see what happens there. Yeah. yeah I mean, everybody's realistic. I'm sorry, go ahead, Mike. No, it's, it's, this is an opportunity for us to, you know, to get back to the working sense of being in a band and jamming, you know, playing on our instruments again, as opposed to playing remotely and just, you know, on our own, which is always odd when you're you know, <laughs> in a working band and now you're, you know, kind of exciting people. though. You know? It is. It's fun. Get, and get, everybody's kind of got like leveled out. Everybody got brought back to zero almost, you know, and now yeah. you get to relive that. It also makes you appreciate, you know, uh, being in a band with your, with your bros and, you know, just getting in a room and making noise again, which was taken from us, you know, it's like beyond right. our control. So, you know, we can create some music together, have some good times, write a killer record, record it, you know, uh, get stocked up on some merch, drink some beers, have some barbecues, and, yeah, you know, just get back to a sense of normalcy, you know? <laughs> Even if it's just a, you know, small window of time until we can, you know, get resumed back to doing what we love, but, you know. It's not a matter of, of if, it's when. Yeah. yeah, I mean, sure. we, yeah. We, we've, we've got some plans in the works and, you know, everybody's very realistic, you know, uh, uh, everyone in the band, as well as our agent and, and the label and stuff where, you know, we want to kind of have some stuff in pencil. So if the opportunity is really there, we're not going to get caught flat footed like, oh, shit, we can tour like we need to book something now. Um, 
but at the same time, you know, we've all been through this for a year and a half of like, let's plan this. Well, that's not going to happen. Let's plan that. Man, that's not going to happen. So, and, and the other thing is, you know, we want to get back out there and we want to play, but we want it to be something that everybody feels good about you know, like from a safety standpoint, you know, I mean, obviously we're a death metal band, but we don't want someone to put their fucking life and their health at risk. Yeah, we're, we're not Smash Mouth. Right. <laughs> Somebody, Somebody <laughs> gave me COVID. Um, in the meantime, dying uh, for Smash Mouth? Like of all the bands to die for, fucking Smash Mouth? Like, I just smashed my songs, mouth, but... dude. I just smashed my mouth right now. Um, <laughs> Follow all this shit will be revealed. Uh, plugging uh, on what's the Facebook official exhumed or exhumed official? I think it's exhumed Facebook.com forward slash exhumed official. Yeah, YouTube <laughs> is zoomed in the search box, it'll pop right up. Yeah, YouTube Google is, is always a great exhumed. foundation. Hopefully, yeah. we'll have some more videos on there, maybe some more playthroughs if Matt feels like doing them, maybe some more of us talking. And Instagram is official exhumed. And no, it's exhumed and, underscore official, I think, isn't it? Hold on. I don't know. I got look, look it up. I have an answer machine right here. I'll I go. can't wait for you guys to resume the, the exhumed. Right. Follow exhumed us and all that exhumed. shit because we try to be funny. It is exhumed work. underscore official is our Instagram. Nice. And uh, yeah, so we're on all the all things. the socials, all the things, all the socials except for TikTok. Right, we're yeah. too old for we TikTok. haven't jumped into that realm yet either. No one, no one here. Well, the, pro yet. the problem is I'm the only one who can dance. <laughs> <laughs> that Dude. is a problem. All right. Uh, I'm going to hold you to it right now. We're going to have a Cali Death podcast. If we start a TikTok, you're going to be the first video, Ross. You're going to do a dance. <laughs> yeah. for us. I'll point it. I'll point intro. at words that yeah. say my message while I dance to the Cali Death intro. Is that, that should be a lyric video by Christopher Beatty. What ba -boom. up, Cali? Boom, <laughs> death. Boom, podcast. I'll 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 produce that shit. <laughs> All right, yeah. let's do it. I'll make I'll I'll edit it once it's filmed. Yeah, let's do, yeah. Let's, let's do it. This is serious. I'll be the new <laughs> the new oh, getting Lawson. <laughs> oh yeah, dude. Yeah, <laughs> get it, get it. <laughs> That's sick. I'm ready for my spot in Fungo Mungo. <laughs> Boom. Boom. Yeah. And now I got to do my Fungo Mungo research. After and that was how <laughs> Ross was fired the second. <laughs> <laughs> he learned the floss and got fired second. Ross the floss. Ross the floss. Is Ross the boss no. from Manowar and then Ross the floss. All right. Dude, this was so fucking cool, dude. I had such a blast tonight, guys. Oh, thank I'm glad you guys gave us a nice chunk of your time for sure, dude. This was, it was a pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having us, man. Thanks and for Mikey. Thanks for, brother. yeah. Thanks for coming back on, Mikey. Uh, we'd love oh, yeah. to have you again, too, dude. Yeah. I watch all the episodes, man. You guys are killing it. For the, it. For the vile episode. Death metal. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, vile episode. Open, yep. open invitation to all three dudes. Always. Awesome, man. Thanks. Bye-bye. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> Um, real quick before we end, just shout out to Jeff Rothamer, fan of the page. We had a bass lesson over Zoom just before this podcast. My first oh. lesson of nice, you know, dude. Shout out Jeff. Started by doing the the pod, and he like connected, and he's a fucking cool. rad dude out in Wisconsin. Yeah, I recognize us. that name. I I seen him. Nice. He's definitely active. Uh, yeah. Thanks. For no fucking... flip flops for Jeff. He's no flip flops for Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> dude, we're, yeah. I'm, Jeff's I'm okay in my book, man. <laughs> 
two flip-flops down <laughs> hey all all pun intended you've all just been exhumed i got dad i got where's those new balances son <laughs> i got a tidy white yeah tidy white every day hamilton drumming oh. in new balances dude that would be <laughs> the greatest dude when they go for the double feet fucking view you know he's oh, yeah. got the no new balances on <laughs> all you see is z's sons no ends <laughs> okay boomer <laughs> oh fuck um, yeah. hey, man, all right i'm out of here man later all right so calidath.com you'll see joseph i don't know if you got some shit going down but it's over there uh all the other socials calidath podcast uh my how, how do i say that joseph what is it uh, it doesn't Joe? if you can watch this video you can find us everywhere as i'm yeah you know you're good to go right, dude. so cool yeah just tell everybody dude we love you guys thanks for oh, fucking yeah. being with us every week we keep it coming every week and we will be next here next week. So rock on guys. Thanks Cheers. for fucking tuning in. Exhumes the fucking shit. And we're out. Fuck yeah. Cheers. Cheers.